Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. They talk about uh, Hurricane Epsilon uh, in this morning's mirror, the tail end of this hurricane lashing the west of Ireland uh, later on today and overnight with gale force winds expected. If you're down there, if you have property down West Cork and West Kerry and areas like that, uh, just be aware of that. Uh, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Well, um, the awful, awful, tragic news uh, coming into us from yesterday, and the headlines of the newspapers reflect that this morning. Horror can Turk deaths is the front page, and this morning's echo. They talk of three dead family members in what seems to be an apparent murder suicide. All of the newspapers carry this on their front, and much of them in the inside pages. The mirror this morning, dad and two sons shot dead in a farm row. Mum fled in fear of her life before armed guardy stormed the property. Uh, many, many photographs then of, of the victims on the front and inside pages this morning. Um, horror at the family farm is the front of the star today. Dad and two sons shot dead over a, a row over land. The E emergency response unit were there. There was choppers there. Um, farmer and, and sons shot in land feud. Brothers uh, and dad killed over a will. That's the front of the sun today. The Independent then with the broadsheets. Father and sons are found dead in farm shooting tragedy. Uh, Barry Roach has it covered uh, extensively on the front of the Irish Times this morning. Uh, and I'll talk to him about it a little later on this morning. Liz Dunphy then in the examiner this morning revisits uh, some of the family tragedies in Ireland and, and, and indeed in Cork down through uh, the years and I will come back to that a little later on this morning because there's been far too many of them. I can recall way back in the early noughties, in fact it was 2001, reporting on the air and talking uh, with a wonderful, wonderful mother um, Christine O'Sullivan who lost her daughter um, who was murdered, uh, her six-year-old daughter Deirdre, uh, murdered by her Deirdre's dad, Chris Crowley, at the age of 44 I'll never forget that story uh, he was on the run for two years and uh, the guards eventually tracked him down to uh, a little bungalow outside Clonmel. Uh, but that was in 2001 and, and since then, and my thoughts actually this morning are with all of them and including Christine who I do see in the Douglas area from time to time, beautiful woman. Um, but there's been many others since then and the papers, or at least the examiner reminds us today, the, the Independent has a timeline regarding events that happened at that farm. Uh, yesterday morning, around about uh, half past six, shots being fired at the rural farmhouse, and they trace the day then. Um, and I will come back to it, as I say. There are other stories, of course, making the papers, and some of them are COVID-related, and I may well come back to them throughout the course of the morning. And there's also some other aspects of the papers that I will come back to. But for now, I just want to stay uh, on this devastating news coming out of um, a little area, uh, not too far uh, from uh, Kantark Asolas. Um, I'm not 100% sure of the pronunciation and to those that live in the area, my apologies for it. But uh, one of the first on the scene uh, yesterday was Red FM senior news reporter Fiona Donovan. She joins me by phone. Morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, you, got there, you got there quite early, I imagine, and uh, God only knows how you even begin to try and unravel a story like this, Fiona. But what's your understanding of events from yesterday morning? So it... It, it, I suppose the entire community there this morning is absolutely devastated. There really are no words for what, what happened yesterday. But what we know is that, I suppose, 
all the events started unfolding shortly after half past six yesterday morning. Gardaí from Canturk rushed to the scene because they were informed that gunshots had been heard from a farmhouse. We understand that it was Anne, 60-year-old Anne, who made that call to, to raise the alarm. An accord was established around the house when further shots were heard when Gardaí arrived. So they knew that there were legally held firearms in the house. So at that stage, a critical response incident was established and there was a huge cross-divisional section from all across on Garda responded. So Emergency Response Unit, Armed Support Unit, National Negotiator Unit, Technical Support Unit, I think the Southern Region Dog Unit was involved and the Air Support Unit. They were all deployed as well as the Ambulance Service. So the negotiators then were trying to establish for for a good part of the morning whether or not anyone was in the house. Um, As I said, they knew that there were legally held firearms, so they were trying to establish if it was a hostage situation and how to proceed best. So by lunchtime, they had made the decision that they weren't getting any response from the house. There was no response forthcoming. And that's when they found a male in his 20s, one of the sons inside the house. And from there then, a search of adjoining lands uh, started with the air support unit. And unfortunately, um, father and son and the other son were found in adjoining land. So both scenes then were established as crime scenes at that stage. So at that stage then, a media briefing was called and we were given further detail by Gardaí at that about exactly what had happened. Um, Gardaí are investigating this morning whether it was a family dispute in relation to inheritance of the farmland. Um, but at, at this stage, again, we don't know. Um, it, it, I suppose it's, it's very, what happened yesterday, it all happened over the course of of the day. There was a media blackout request on that to, to allow Gardaí to deal with that as best they could without any interference. And then as, as word trickled down last night through the community, it was just shock. Uh, people on the street just did not you could see they were just kind of walking around in some kind of eerie it was eerie, it was quiet, it's quiet anyway because of level 5 restrictions but there was a whole other level of atmosphere there yesterday that it's very hard to put into words. Okay, I will come back to that aspect of our conversation in a moment but if you will, I just want to play um, the audio of uh, a section of that press conference so this this would be Superintendent Adrian Gamble at the press conference with uh, media yesterday in Cantark. So, good evening. And Garda Shikana is conducting a criminal investigation into tragic incidents that occurred today in a small rural area in North Cork. This morning, Monday the 26th of October 2020, Garda based in Cantark, County Cork, were alerted to a critical firearms incident at the townland of Asseles, Cantark, County Cork, that occurred shortly after 6.30am. A short time earlier, a female in her 60s alerted neighbours that a firearm had been discharged at her home. Gardaí were then informed that three males were present in the house and that one may have suffered gunshot wounds. Gardaí responded to the scene, arriving shortly afterwards and were informed by locals that further gunshots had been heard. When Garda Shiakon initiated its critical firearms incident response, the scene of the incident, a family home, was contained by frontline uniform and plainclothes Gardaí with the assistance of armed support. Today's tragic events were dealt with by the Armed Support Unit, emergency response flown into the area by an Air Corps helicopter, the National Negotiator Unit, local scenes of crime, technical support units from Garda Headquarters, Southern Region Garda Dog Unit and Air Support. 
Additional support was provided by our stakeholders in the HSE National Ambulance Service and the Irish Coast Guard. Throughout the course of the morning and early afternoon, garden negotiators attempted to make contact with people that may have been in the house. Shortly after 1pm, members of the emergency response unit approached the house and sadly the body of a male in his 20s with a gunshot wound was discovered in a bedroom. No other people were present. The Air Support Unit helicopter commenced an aerial search of the adjoining lands and at approximately 1.40pm, two further bodies, a male in his 50s and another in his 20s were discovered. A number of firearms have been seized at the scene and will be subject to later technical examination. Preliminary indications show that both men have suffered tragic gunshot wounds. I confirmed that all three deceased men were from the one family. Both locations have been sealed off and a full criminal investigation is underway led by a senior investigating officer. The state pathologist is currently at scene and arrangements are in place for post-mortem examinations to take place later. A family liaison officer has been appointed by Angarda Shiakana and the family have requested strict privacy at this very tragic time. And finally, I would like to take this opportunity to appeal for witnesses to come forward and contact Mallow Garda Station on 022 31450, the Garda National Confidential Line on 1800 666 or any Garda station. Okay, so that was a section of the um, press conference given yesterday at Cantark. Last night uh, I was contacted by um, um, neighbours of the O'Sullivan uh, family. We we know now at this stage, of course, uh, that um, Tyg, Dermot and Mark have died and their mam is staying with neighbours and I was contacted by uh, those uh, wonderful neighbours who were looking after Anne last night and I had a conversation this morning off the air with a member of the family who is now looking after uh, Anne and he said um, he said to me uh, that unfortunately last night uh, a reporter from uh, one of the newspapers uh, doorstepped the uh, neighbour's home um, when Anne was inside at the time she was being tended to by a local priest um, this chap said to me that uh, they attempted on several occasions to get the journalist to leave the property. Uh, we're having no luck, um, but there were three members of the Garda Shikana there and they got the journalist to eventually leave. And in his conversation with me this morning, he just asked, would I please ask all members of the media to stay away uh, and leave the family uh, in peace and leave Anne in peace to... Um, you're never going, she's never going to recover from this clearly because uh, she must be in an awful state uh, of shock and uh, is unwell herself having uh, come out of hospital recently for a very, very serious operation. So what they want actually is to be just left alone to deal with this and to mind Anne as best they can, as good neighbours would do. Um, uh, Fiona is with me. You, you then had an opportunity to talk to uh, the wider community. Uh, am I right? Yes, Neil. It was a very... Um I suppose it was a very, as I mentioned earlier, a very tense atmosphere in Cantark last night. Um, I suppose people are people are on edge at the moment anyway. I think it's fair to say over level five. But 
when something like this happens in your community, it just, it just, I think it leaves you kind of reeling. People just could not believe what had happened. One woman said to me, this just doesn't happen here. Nothing like this ever happens here. Nothing like this has ever happened here. Um, and, you know, a lot of people knew of the family, you know, or, or knew someone that knew them or had a connection. And I think it, it really hit a lot of people. A lot of people were very sad. But one thing that people did say is that it is a very close-knit community and that people will pull together Um the the entire community was, I suppose, rallying around last night to see if they can do anything. It's very hard to do anything in these circumstances. But I know that, I suppose, the main thing to, to, to think of today is there is a woman out there, Neil, and she has she is waking up today without her husband and her two sons. And I suppose that is, that is what everyone is thinking this morning. Um, and everyone's wondering why as well. How did this happen? How did this, how did this get, get so out of hand? How, how did such tragedy happen? in such a short space of time. And I suppose uh, because the media briefing wasn't held until five o'clock yesterday evening, at the stage I was talking to people, they had more questions than, than, than thoughts on anything. You know, they were nearly asking me, well, what, was, what do you know? And all they had heard was that, unfortunately, this father and two, two sons had died tragically. Um, so today I, I would imagine that the, the, you know, I suppose everybody is probably talking ab- about it in, in their circles and just wondering why and, and wondering, you know, how could such devastation happen to a community already, already suffering like every other community across the country from level five restrictions. But last night it really was, it was, it was very lonely there. It's the only way I can describe it. I actually, even though I wasn't alone, I felt very alone there last night. So I would imagine that is the sentiment that everybody is feeling in can't just alone this morning. Well, let's, um, let's, let's have a listen to how people were feeling when you caught up with them yesterday. I wouldn't have known the, the people personally or anything, but yeah, the community will be quiet. It is, it's quiet, it's nice, it's family kind of, you know, there's no, there's never any dramas around here. It's always nice and quiet. So were you shocked to hear what happened? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, shocking. Just Absolutely think- shocking. It's very quiet area. I'm here 20 years, I'm from Poland. And I never see any incidents here. Everything is always quiet. That's why I like to live here. You know, I have opportunity to live different places, but I'm here 20 years and I love it. Very surprised. Very surprised. Very friendly. Very friendly. People will help you. You know, if you ask for something, they will go out of the way to help you. It's very quiet. Do you think people will help each other now? Definitely they will. Definitely. I was very shocked that happened here. In a small place like this, you know. It's very sharp. Yeah. Oh, what can you do about it? It happened, you know. It's a tragedy, but yeah, it's quiet. It's kind of something like it happened in Dublin, not here, you know. Good town, good community. Yeah, it's sad. Like when I was seen this morning, I was like, "What? Was like, Is that actually happening?" Like, but I suppose these things just happen, and like, like the boys are kind of just filling me in, and I was like, "What?" I just shocking, right? Yeah, like John, especially when it's so quiet around the town, especially now during this, like you know, it's just. It's, I was baffled when it happened, like, tightness the community, like, so people would be kind of helping each other out all the time. So hopefully they might try bonding something together and maybe try to help out the family or something. You'd feel sorry, like, but these things just happen, I suppose. It this. It's quite enough, right? Like, I, I didn't think that was going to happen, like, it was very unexpected. But I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, like, you'd feel sorry. Yeah, everyone's sad, right? Yeah, it is. Just 
took this place is really, really quite like. Well, I am really, really very surprised because since I moved in here, I've never had such kind of thing. It's really quite, really quite like. It's, it's actually a wonderful community. I, like I said, I'm really so surprised to hear that. Yeah, I've never heard such kind of stuff here since I came to live here in Qatar. I've never heard it before. Well, I haven't met anybody, you know, I haven't been out today. But, yeah, uh, and I haven't either, really, yeah, so... I'm sure. But I'm sure it tomorrow. is. Yeah. Yeah, it is shocking, and it is... This is a quiet community, yes. Shock. Shock and sadness, of course, yeah. for the family and for, you know, the neighbours and their friends. and Nothing like that happens here. <laughs> That's a report from uh, Red FM senior news reporter Fiona O'Donovan talking to the locals of Kenturk yesterday afternoon and last evening. After the break, Barry Roach from the Irish Times. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Barry Roach, Southern correspondent with the Irish Times, was in Kenturk yesterday. He joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. And, of course, obviously, you, you appreciate the sensitivity of all of this, bearing in mind that there is a mother who is uh, very, very unwell herself, having to try to come to terms with this devastation. Um, what's happening now? There will be uh, autopsies in the CUH, I imagine, yeah? Yeah, Dr. Bolster, I think, is due to start the postmortems at half nine, so presumably that's happening around now. Um and obviously there are three bodies to be examined so I presume that will take most of the day and it will be the late afternoon if not after six before guardian in a position to uh, receive her results uh, whether or not they choose to make any of them um, public I suppose is another issue uh, it's not like um, some criminal investigations obviously where they're retained information or, uh, for, or don't release it for operational reasons they're not looking for anybody else in connection with this horrible tragedy uh, they're satisfied that it was a murder suicide um, incident yesterday in Cantork I suppose just to uh, go through the sequence of events such as we know them the family or the O'Sullivan family consisted of Tyg the father is 59 he's originally from Roskine in, in the Ballyclaw area he's a mechanic or was a mechanic working in Greenhall Motors in Bodevent he's married to Anne O'Sullivan who was um, formerly Anne Crone and she's nurse. Uh, a nurse at Mount Alverna in Mallow and they had two sons uh, Mark who's 26 and Dermot who's 23 Mark uh, qualified with a law degree and is a trainee solicitor or was a trainee solicitor uh, Dermot had just finished an accountancy degree at CIT and actually was due to um, graduate or be conferred with his degree next week um, they lived at a farm uh, at a solace outside Cantork between Cantork and Castle Magna 150 acre farm which would have been Anne O'Sullivan's Nee Cronin's family farm she inherited from her parents so Tygo Sullivan would have married in there they didn't actually farm the land it's good tillage land but they had actually leased out to neighbours so um it hadn't been farmed by the family themselves for over 30 years, I understand. Uh, the suggestion or one of the lines of inquiry guardian you're investigating is that there was an issue over a will. Um, Anna Sullivan had been in Dublin for surgery uh, last week for a serious condition. She returned to Castle Magnor. She'd been accompanied by her son, Mark, to Dublin, but they returned and stayed at the neighbour's house yeah. uh, when they came back from Dublin. But they returned to the family home on Sunday night. We know then that at around 6.40, Mark O'Sullivan's son, who travelled to Dublin with her, the older son, was shot dead in his bedroom. Yeah. Um, Anne O'Sullivan managed to get out of the house and escape. Uh, she didn't have a mobile phone with her, so she had to go across a number of fields to get to a neighbour's house. She raised the alarm at about 7am. 
Gotti were notified, um, they proceeded, they were aware of the fact that uh, they may be dealing with a hostage situation. But unbeknownst to them, they wouldn't have known at that stage that, Di- that Tighe and Dermot had left the property. They wouldn't have known at that stage, but yeah. what they were aware was that it was possibly a hostage situation, but they also were aware that there were three legally held firearms on the property, two rifles and a double barrel shotgun, so they proceeded with caution and uh, established an outer, uh, sorry, an inner cordon about 100 metres back from the house, a uh, combination of uniformed and uh, armed detectives. They were joined... Uh, it's a Cork North division, but uh, they got resources, obviously, from the city, and uh, an inspector from the city was appointed as the on-scene commander, making all the operational decisions there, having established the perimeter. They then brought in a trained negotiator from Cork North, who made began attempts to cont- or to open negotiations with whoever was in the property, and that began about... Um, sorry, I should say as well that when they arrived at the scene, they met with a local who told them he'd heard two gunshots around 725 or sorry they arrived about half seven and he'd met a local who told them that they had he had heard two gunshots around seven or thereabouts so they didn't know what to they couldn't obviously establish what those gunshots were they established the perimeter or the cordon uh, the unseen commander then instructed the train negotiator to begin negotiations. About quarter past eight, the ERU from the city arrived out. They took up positions in the inner cordon. Gardaí also established an outer cordon back about a kilometre or so at all the junctions and crossroads there, stopping anybody from approaching within you know, a kilometre or more of the house. So there were two cordons involving, I think, up to about 100 guards in total. Um, the HSE then sent down a team of trained paramedics who are particularly trained to deal with gunshot wounds and are sort of trained to deal with military type situations. I wasn't aware of these until this morning in actual fact but they actually would come with bulletproof vests and helmets and would be equipped like the ERU seriously um, you know uh, equipped in terms of dealing with that sort of scenario. They were put in standby at the inner cordon around 12 o'clock the armed support unit from Dublin who would be sort of the the lead unit in these sort of situations with training in hostage and seed situations, they were brought down by the, an Air Corps helicopter. They then joined the cordon at the inner cordon. And given then that there was no success in making any contact, a decision was taken that they would enter the property. So the ASU from Dublin led the way, followed by the ERU with the uh, paramilitary train, or sorry, the medics with military with training for firearms wounds following on. They entered the house and at around one o'clock. About one o'clock, yeah, yeah. And they found the body of Mark O'Sullivan there. He was pronounced dead at the scene. There were a couple of um, emergency consultants consultants also there, and I think they may have done the pronounced him dead. Gardy, the ASU and the ERU then began a sweep of the farm buildings around. Gardaí also sent down the air support unit, a helicopter. That was doing aerial sweeps of the farm. It would have had infrared heat tracking equipment. They spotted two bodies in a field near a ferry fort, about four fields back from the house. The ASU and the ERU approached. It turned out to be uh, Tygo Sullivan and his son Dermot. They found two rifles beside them. They were pronounced dead at the scene. Obviously, this had all been happening under immediate blackout. Um... We were aware of it, but um, Gardaí had requested no um, media broadcast or anything like that. Obviously, unfortunately, the possibility that there was a hostage situation there ever since Abelara, you know, they've become very professional in terms of that. So that media blackout remained in place. The bodies were 
found at 140. It was the find or declared a critical firearms incident, which is where the unseen commander is in charge of things. They stood that down at about two. It then became a criminal investigation. They requested the services of Dr. Bolson, the state pathologist, and ballistics experts, technical experts in Dublin, but particularly ballistics experts, because they want to see who fired what guns at whom. Um, about half three, then they lifted the media blackout and the story began to break. Obviously, locally, people in the immediate vicinity in Castle Magna were aware that there was a tragedy unfolding. And some in Cantorca, I was in, I was in at one of the outer cordons and then I went into Cantorca to work there and people in Cantorca had been hearing it as well. But I suppose from about half three on, it just began to unfold publicly and, you know, the state of shock was... Uh, Really. Tyg was a mechanic. Um, Dermot had just qualified as a, an accountant, and Mark was a trainee solicitor, I believe. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the yeah. three of them. None of them worked the farm, as I said. It was yeah. um, 180 acres. The Gardaí say they're keeping an open mind on it, but one line of inquiry, they certainly look at a, the sense of this possibility that there may have been discussion about a proposed will, and Mark, uh, sorry, Dermot. with neighbours and those neighbours are appealing for privacy at this time and that's understandable. Dunfin, the examiner this morning, says there have been more than 30 murder-suicide cases recorded in Ireland since the year 2000. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at that. Um, but you, I won't say people woke up to it yesterday morning because there was the media blackout, but certainly as it began to seep through yesterday afternoon, people were still trying to get their head around it. And I was talking to uh, John Paul O'Shea, the local Finnegal councillor, and he said um, there's a total sense of disbelief. The exact details of the case have yet to be confirmed. Obviously, it's a very close-knit community in Castle Magda. So confirmation that three people have passed is very tragic and has been greeted with a real sense of grief and loss. He said people will find it very hard to come to terms with it, but I have no doubt the people of Castle Magna will rally around and support the family. And I think they're going to be needed uh, as much as the 
they'll ever have for anything uh, in the coming days as they try and support uh, Anna Sullivan. She's an only child as well. Um, so, and her parents are deceased, so it's going to be friends and um, cousins and neighbours, I suppose, who are going to try and help her through. And then, obviously, she's come from a hospital situation as, as well herself. So, you know, one can only... One can't imagine, really. It's not what the poor woman's going through. Gerdy um, had a press conference last night at about five o'clock, and Superintendent Adrian Gamble, who's uh, based in Middleton, but was the super on duty over the bank holiday for the the division. He issued an appeal and uh, asked anyone who had any information who could assist Gerdy um, in any way at all, presumably in terms of people who may have had contact with the family in the days running up to this tragedy, to um, to make contact with them. Uh, I just that's not a problem I would give it out and I suppose the other thing Neil is just um, anybody who's been affected by these the story of issues in the in in, in this tragedy Pieta House is on 1800 247 247 and the Samaritans are on um, 116123 so if anybody is thanks uh, Barry as always much obliged to you take care and um, yeah Absolutely. Barry Roach, Southern Correspondent of the Irish Times. You can contact Mallow Garda Station on 022-31450. 022-31450. And there is a confidential line on one 800 one. Um, and the Garda Shikona are asking if anybody has any information, appealing for witnesses who may have spotted something uh, yesterday morning. My apologies. I think I got my days confused with yesterday being a bank holiday. Forgive me for that at this important time. I didn't mean to get that wrong. So just to correct the timeline. Um, and uh, uh, Liz Dunphy in this morning's examiner says that uh, more than 30 murder-suicide cases have been recorded. Um, at least 146 people, mostly women and children, have been killed in their own homes or by family or partners in the last 20 years. Um, I referred there in 2001 to the death of Deirdre Crowley, little six-year-old in Clonmel at the hands of her father who then took his own life and left Christine O'Sullivan to grieve the loss of a beautiful daughter. That was in 2001. Um, but the examiner this morning talks of Clauda Hall and her three sons uh, who all died at the hands of her husband, Alan. Uh, and then there was the case of Ella and uh, two-year-old Ella and six-year-old Zoe Butler, who were killed by their father, John, who then went on to take his own life in Ballycotton in uh, November of 2010. And there's the story of Valerie Graney, a 49-year-old, fatally stabbed by her husband, Michael, at their home in Cove in 2014. He also stabbed their daughter, Michelle. Uh, the examiner says, before kissing her forehead and asking her to look after her dying mother, before he then killed himself. And then there was the case in Charleville of uh, two lovely little lads, nine-year-old brothers, Paddy and Thomas, killed by their brother, Jonathan O'Driscoll. At the time, uh, we found out then, subsequent to that, that he was being treated for severe psychosis. And he took his own life after taking the lives of his brothers in September 2014. And then there was the case in 2013 of three-year-old Clarissa McCarthy, murdered by her father uh, in uh, West Cork, Martin McCarthy, at the age of 50, who then also killed himself. Um, Again, I know that Barry mentioned it, but Pieta House are available for anybody disturbed by these stories on one 800 247247 and the Samaritans on 116123.
back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Um, thank you so much. Somebody says, uh, you know, you hear and you read about these stories. This is a text, Neil. You hear and you read about these stories. Um, but I was driving the Mallow Road at 7 o'clock yesterday evening and I passed the three hearses with father and sons along with the guardie and it's all so desperately sad yes indeed i suppose it all brought it right home to you to see those three horses being driven to the cuh um clearly somebody is saying here that um you know everybody is affected by this even fiona donovan who is reporting on it uh, text to here says that you can clearly hear in her voice that she is so upset uh, and all of us are. Um, there's um, also, uh, unfortunately, a text which I think is quite sad, actually. Uh, which I think is quite sad that anybody would even try and suggest that the media uh, were trying to um, make any kind of, uh, I don't know, headway with regards to reporting on this story uh, at such a difficult time. Uh, that isn't, I mean, I think that's quite sad, actually, that somebody would even even believe that. I mean, this this has been handled as sensitively as possible, um, you know, bearing in mind that the the story would have to be uh, reported, and we all have to think now um, with regards to um, Anne, uh, who's unwell herself and recovering from very serious surgery, and at the moment staying uh, with neighbours, wonderful neighbours who are look after, looking after her as as best they can. Um, so, no more than that can I tell you, lads. Another another tragedy in Ireland and another tragedy here in Cork. Way too often we're reporting on these types of stories. Lines are open at one 850 You can text 0868-104-106, but we shall have to wait and see how uh, the Garda inquiries uh, unfold. Um, the one aspect of it that was, you know, of interest is that uh, the guards would not have known what was going on or who was in the house. And that was why uh, for a, a number of hours they were trying to negotiate um, with whomever they thought was within the actual house itself, not knowing that there wasn't anybody there. Um, and when they discovered, you've got to think as well for the paramedics, the medics, the members of the Garda Shikona who have to actually arrive upon that scene and to discover that uh, devastation. Um, but of course, all that pales into um, not insignificance, but is of, of lesser, a lesser issue when you think of what Anne uh, has now got to, to deal with as an only child herself and her family gone like that. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106. Um, we are hopeful uh, of a vaccine, and I wish somebody would just zip Leo Faradkar's lip, please. You know, three weeks ago he's saying, "Oh, we're not going to go into a level five because people, you know, medics and people in the public sector will never lose their jobs, and they'll always have a wage." And I need to think about those in the private sector and with businesses. And then two weeks later, we went into level five, and now he he just doesn't seem to miss one single opportunity. And over the weekend, the long weekend, isn't he speculating as to when there'll be a vaccine? One newspaper you read says there'll be a vaccine in weeks. I saw a headline yesterday in the paper saying that. And then later on in the day, we got uh, Varadkar saying that, you know, maybe in the new year or sometime in the spring. Um, But the papers this morning have quite an amount of, uh, you know, COVID-related stories, including the Independent that says that even the immunity to COVID lasts only a few months after the infection. The latest study says that, you know, uh, immunity may only last a number of months and that you could get it again. Um, Mind you, you know, for those that are healthy and fit, not a bother to you. And when there's a vaccine, not a bother at all. The big issue now is to how many people will actually take uh, the vaccine itself. But that's for uh, somewhere down the track. For the week that's in it, of course, then, we're in midterm. Um, and I wonder, are many people planning an alternative uh, Halloween uh, trick-or-treat um, 
experience in the home because you, you can't go traipsing from door to door, clearly. Uh, but parents are trying to come up with new ways of... Uh, and over, over the weekend, actually, uh, I came in touch with somebody who came up with a new plan for Halloween where they were going to different rooms. The kids would knock on different rooms. The doors would open with the parents there and they would then go to another room, bedroom number one, bedroom number two, dining room, sitting room and things like that. But the papers this morning come up with different ideas as to how people could perhaps, um, you know, celebrate Halloween in some way, shape or form. Um, and I will come back to Halloween again later in the week. Uh, you know, the incidents involving um, Can Turk and the deaths of a father and two sons kind of takes the wind out of your sails, doesn't it, with regards to all other stories. Uh, pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. text 086-8104-106, and we'll pick it up after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 1850-104-106. Red FM. Ah, lads, uh, the, the things we, we have to report on, huh? You won't believe this story, Neil. My elderly mother who has underlying issues, is and has been cocooning since March. She woke up uh, yesterday morning to a knock at the door. She opened the door to find a guard on the porch, not a half a metre from her, uh, wearing no mask. What's the guard doing there, you may be asking? Well, what makes it worse is that he had a warrant for her arrest for the non-payment of a TV licence from 2015. And he gave her 24 hours to pay or he was coming back to get her, he says. Is this really the pressure and stress that the state should be putting on the elderly at this already extremely stressful time? Don't give out my details. I don't want to stress her out even more. Um, of course, that's wrong on loads of different levels. But what's going on here? An unpaid television license from 2015 would suggest to me that she's paid 2016, 17, 18, 19, and perhaps 20. Uh, and it's to the 2015 a television license that remained unpaid. Um, I'm not so sure if that's exactly what the guard said. Uh, he was coming back to get her if she didn't pay it in 24 hours. Uh, but certainly you're right uh, in these times. This is not the way to be doing business. And uh, all of that kind of stuff really should be put on hold, I believe. Uh, but I hope that she's okay. And you say that she has underlying issues and has been cocooning since March and I suppose likes the old bit of television. She may not have the price of a television license. Let me know if that's the case and we'll see if we can help with that. Uh, but I hope that she's okay. Uh, do come back to me. Let me know whether or not she's going to pay it within the next 24 hours. A television license. There must be a better way of coming up with a system uh, than rather than people having to pay it. I mean, you would think in this day and age that sponsorship and advertising uh, would be enough. But who's to know? Uh, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. And of course, with, you know... Issues going on in many people's lives at this time of the year with regards to stress, anxiety, depression, anger, isolation uh, and loneliness. Many wonder whether we'll ever get out the other end of that. And with that in mind, I'm joined by, uh, by, by Sinead, actually, who actually in, in one regard has personal experience of um, you know, more, more to do with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, but dealing with that uh, through COVID over the past six or eight months, Sinead, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thanks for having me on. Um, and and you've been on for uh, some time now, varying levels of antidepressants to keep you going. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I suppose I always thought PTSD was something that you hear in movies after people from Vietnam War or whatever the case may be. So it was quite a shock to me to get diagnosed with it. Um, but it can be linked quite heavily to various levels of trauma that people can, um, I suppose, experience. And what's interesting is I think the whole COVID thing 
um, although it's not the source of my PTSD, that it's uh, very much something that I've been have to. I've, I suppose I've had to be very, very aware um, of how to deal with it and how to ensure. I suppose that I minimise the amount of triggers, or that I kind of keep on top of that. Like so, it can be, it can be any form of trauma. You, you refer there to war, and we do hear of that. It could be yeah. an accident, but it could be any issue in your life that has, say, life-changing consequences. It can yeah, be from severe absolutely. shock. Yeah, like I mean, I suppose I mean mine is linked to specifically um, a particular. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm breaking the house here. Okay. Um, I'm my one is particularly linked to um, a kind of an employer dispute. So, and that has a high court case attached to it. So, they, so I won't, I won't go there. But the consequences no, no, yeah. of that led to uh, this diagnosis. Yeah, and I suppose one of the major things for me is I, I like, I mean, I suppose for years I've worked in PR and would have been always on the other side of organising these calls with you for somebody, yeah. let's say, whether it's in the entertainment business or whatever. Um, but for me, I found it very, very difficult to understand, okay, why am I feeling this way? And like crying consistently, like that was very early on, kind of late 2018 and early 2019. And although I kind of knew what where the stress was coming from, I couldn't understand my reaction. That was what really got to me, and I couldn't, I couldn't really play it as normal for me because I would be quite well known, I suppose, by my friends as being very, very, was it strong, but also a little bit stubborn, um, and. We'll say it was only for one friend. He actually came into my house and found me on the ground crying, and I just couldn't get up. It was, it just, it went to that level that I was. It was like paralysis from it. Is that is that what they call, say, for instance, a panic attack? It, I would like to call that a panic attack, but um, I would have thought that maybe that was, but it was so ongoing. I'd say I didn't stop crying for about three or four weeks, solid. And what was worse was in those moments, in that very early on stage, because I didn't feel like I could show my vulnerability to anyone, I locked myself in my house and I live alone with my dog and I told everyone in Cork that I was down helping a friend in Waterford and I told everyone in Waterford where my parents are that I was in Cork sick and left it at that and just spent the Christmas pretty much holed up. Over the uh, Christmas period alone? Yeah, that was yeah, that was like from late December 2018 and then straight into the end of 20, January 2019 at the very end that I was on my own and it took one friend who came into the house and found me on the ground and like he got me to go to the doctor and I mean he stood by me through everything even in those moments where I was like please don't tell anybody else because I, I, I always felt ashamed that I had taken this so badly and I felt so stressed from it and so upset Well I suppose the life that you, you had and were happy with defined you um, and well, life changing consequences then triggered this Yeah and it's interesting that you put it that way because that's how I would have always associated with say between my career or whatever the case may be and it is something that I do want to talk about this morning and it's not to point fingers but the mental health services I mean they're what they need right now in Ireland is massive resources massive investment because unfortunately um let's what the initial point I was saying there was back in January 2019 that was the very beginning and I'd start once my my friend got me to go to my GP and I got put on antidepressants. It was a very low level. It was like 25 milligram. 
and we just said we'd see how that went. But unfortunately then, it was almost like this consistent roller coaster that I'd be kind of, oh, I'd level out and I'd manage to be okay and then something else would happen. And unfortunately, there was a lot of stuff that came out media-wise and uh, and such, so that didn't help, shall we say, and that kind of set me off again, uh, which... You know, outside of PTSD, that would set anybody off, you know, that you're having your, you know, a personal thing like that. But when you say about my career, you know, defining me, I would have always been very proud of that fact. And cut to January 2020, um, when another massive blow came through the same thing, uh, or the same incident or <laughs> occurred, um, I, I had a complete mental break- breakdown. And unfortunately, and I know a lot of friends of mine would find this very difficult to hear from me, but, you know, I, I did have suicidal thoughts and that was something, I suppose, that shocked me as well because I've always been such a, an academic and I would have thought, no, you just fix yourself. Mm-hmm. You just go out and you sort that out. So that was quite a different, I suppose, low for me, which I had never experienced. And... I was very lucky that on the night I was thinking of it, that my, my father texts me and he's 81 years of age down in Waterford and I mean, he's, he would be my best mate. Like I have some amazing friends, but this man just would see you through anything and everything. And he happened to text on WhatsApp because he's better on social media than I am, I think. At this Did point. he have a sense perhaps that something was amiss? It was, amiss? A, thing. It was, it was a very odd thing because I wasn't, like, I hadn't been in touch. I was, again, gone quiet. And maybe from the previous year, he was like, this is weird. I'm not hearing from her. Whereas generally, I'd be on every couple of days at minimum, you know. So he texted, and it was like, he texted half 11 on Friday night. and was like, how are you doing? And I just text back and I said, oh, dad, I think I need my dad this weekend. And she said, oh, you know, and it was just such a, you know, for someone of that generation in particular, his journey of learning about depression and PTSD with me mm. has been really incredible. And I'm, I'm really proud to say that he's so open to that, as is my mother. And like both of them, they come from the generation where there's, you know, there's no such thing as that. Mm. You know, you just, you get on with it. And so it, it's been taxing for, for the two of them as well, because I suppose I've always been the independent one, not fucking caught in the big smoke mm. her. And doing so well, yeah, yeah. You know, so... Um, I think that has been a major. Oh, I don't know. It, like it, it has. That's been tough that I've had to put them through it and put my friends through it. And I am very, very lucky. But unfortunately, there are moments that you end up being re-triggered. And it's just as much as I would love to think that in all my, I suppose, ability to be able to read about positive behaviour therapy and read about what are the coping mechanisms and what can I do to help me like I've been full like full on I'm going to do everything I can do to make sure my mental health is okay. Let let me pick up on those uh, coping mechanisms and the rest of your story uh, after 10 if that's okay with you Sinead. Lines are open you can text if you'd like to get involved in the conversation text 0868 104 106. I was talking with Sinead just before 10 o'clock as as to how she now copes with her diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder made probably even more difficult I'd imagine Sinead with the last 6 or 7 months and all of the different restrictions and guidelines that we have to abide by, right? But this is the thing, and I suppose um, 
you know, I, I come from kind of the arts and events kind of area, so I'm uh, big on the old risk assessments. So that, that's uh, for me, I tend to risk assess everywhere I go, and I'm looking at things and I'm going, oh, that's not COVID compliant now. So I've been very, um, I've been very dutiful and obedient, and I, I've done my very, very best. I think to kind of abide by that, and I suppose be part of the solution rather than the problem. Um, so I have minimised my restrictions completely. So here I am back again in my very small, tiny cottage in the middle of the city centre with my dog and facing a new lockdown, but with longer nights and all the rest. So it, it is, it's a different, I suppose it's a very different type of experience. That none of us could really relate to it. I, I, I kind of became a bit of a hermit expert, um, but when I wasn't talking to people. So it's really... It's taken, I mean, ultimately, nearly, uh, God, like, I mean, since January 2019, to learn how to say it out loud, I'm not okay, I need I need to talk to someone, or I need to, I just need you to be here, or I need to do a Zoom, that's been a massive learning for me, and that's been the hardest thing, like, even, I can hear my voice shaking when, while I'm talking to you now, mm-hmm. and that's, because I'm just, I'm so used to public speaking, like I trained as an actor donkeys years ago and I know how to do all that, you know, and be, and put on the brave face, but it's talking about the real stuff I think can be the, the hardest. And I mean, what, what, is, what is that? Is that trying to work out how your, the rest of your life will play out, is it? There's a, there's part of that is, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, you, you referred earlier about the career and how that defines me. And I, I would see that very much, uh, you know, a definition of me. I mean, it's not my whole sum. Um, but, you know, I, I made a decision when I was 16 years of age to work in the arts. Um, so that is very much something that I've always worked towards and been very strategic about. I mean, much to my mother's dismay. I mean, I had acting and then I had medicine on the CAO form. And that's... <laughs> that's a big stretch, isn't it? Yeah, so you can imagine as any typical Irish mammy like, was <laughs> inconsolable at the thought I was going to give up <laughs> my medicine and even the fact I had gotten acting in Trinity and I said, no, I don't want to go to Trinity either. I want to go to Cork. And It's a precarious the- profession, anything to do with the arts or indeed even, even media related. And in, oh, in your, and does it still overwhelm you? I mean, you, you were saying that your email to me that you, you still have panic attacks. Well, this is the thing. I mean, over the weekend, I suppose, um, there was, you know, particular significance for me and, you know, waking up every morning and even something as simple as, you know, the Facebook memories that, you know, we all generally enjoy and we share and we think, oh, but God, that was six years ago or that was two years ago or whatever the case may be. Um, but over the weekend for me, unfortunately, that it just triggered an awful lot. And rather than, I mean, I have to be thankful. I'm at a, a really good dosage. I mean, long be with, long be with the days that I was on the 25 milligram of sertraline under my doctor's uh, prescription. Like, I'm on now 200. And how how were you feeling then? I mean, were you like in a state of numbness or what? But this is it. I mean... Because I'm on the sertraline, it's managed to kind of level my serotonin levels, which is a really important part of this. I've refused anything like Xanax or anything that could kind of quieten me or zombify me, as I would describe mm-hmm. it as. Cause I, I want to still feel things. I want to still be aware of where I'm at. And I'm also like, I mean, summer 2019, I, I set up a new company and... 
I, I really, I, I desperately tried to work at that and really make that work. And like the autumn of last year didn't work because I had another stumble. Then the, the, the start of spring, like January 2019, as I said earlier, you know, going through suicidal thoughts and, you know, really having a full on breakdown again. You know, obviously the company suffered again. I have an incredible business partner who's just so supportive and that has really helped. And like I came back February, just gone, and I was like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do everything. And we filled the calendar year for 2020 and I had events from festivals to gigs to health clubs. And then someone turned the lights out on that, yeah. Yeah, and that was, I mean, like, I remember at the first week, it wasn't even before... There hadn't even been a case, I don't think, in Ireland. But one of the the events we were organising was a health conference. So it was a, a very incredible team of very um, highly qualified doctors. And although not in the area um, of neurology or whatever, but they were very aware of, oh, right, this is coming. Yeah. This is not, we're not going to avoid it. And that was the first gig to get cancelled. And I was like, what are you talking about? The, the, the conference is in May. I know, I know. You know, and in, in those moments, you think I, we all did that. I remember saying, "Oh, we'll oh, yeah. we'll get through this, and we'll be out the other side of it in June." Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. But I think it was within four days. Like my full year of twenty twenty work was cancelled. And how now do you do you cope with overwhelming emotions? Um, because others may well be listening, saying that they might feel similar to you in the sense that. And how do they come upon you? Do you find that you become overwhelmed? Is your breathing affected? Yeah, well, the one thing, and like that's what I had shared online, and it's the first time I shared a post like that as a public post um, over the weekend where I just said, look, not many people would know I have PTSD because I'd be kind of known as a bit of a lunatic, but in a good way, (laughs) in that kind of sense of I'd be gregarious and I'd be outgoing and... You know, the, the the term tears of a clown would come to mind a little bit, you know, if you th- think of people like Robin Williams or, you know, some of the greatest... That's right, yeah. ...meetings would, would have often... Um, people wouldn't have realised, you know, how, how depressed they were. But to, to I suppose to stress the, fo- the point that as, when it, it happens now, if I get a panic attack, which I actually didn't experience in the first year of all this, my triggers would actually trigger me into states of depression, not getting out of bed, not wanting to eat, just wanting to sleep. Like, not even, like, I might turn the TV on, but just not even paying attention. It's more like staring into the abyss and very much about the bed, very much not wanting to leave and just, I suppose, not being... But would you lie in the bed or would you actually sleep for vast quantities of your time in bed? Oh, no, lying in the bed. Just staring at the ceiling, and it, it, like that alone, it just—I mean, that nearly—that nearly drove me over the edge alone. That the fact that I couldn't sleep, and I—I'd be—I like as my own, like my GP and a psychotherapist that I had been going to privately, and since then the the health services here—I mean, they, they are so overwhelmed. But there was one psychiatrist that said, you know, you have serious issue with. Uh, sorry if you hear my dog growling that's just a bang next door that's not me I don't growl Um, I might bite but I don't growl (laughs) Um, but my like that that psychotherapist the psychiatrist uh, during the summer was very much of the opinion like oh god you have massive issues with control so and I was going yeah like 
serious. Like, I know. But I that's know. what interests me because others as well, over the past seven or eight months, also feel as if their ability to control has been taken away from them. But this is a thing. It's such a, like, your environment you can't control and what I've and perhaps learned, many of those have had life changing consequences to their job to their finances to the security of their home I mean they, there is that whole thing and I try and use the hashtag on various workings of the in it together but often the case is you come home or you sit down to have your dinner and you realise we're not in it together not at all I don't know why that ever gets gets used because we're not all in this together if we were all in this together yeah there can be very much an us and them scenario and you know I I, being honest like somebody who has bills to pay or a business that's been shut down who's in it for them yeah like I mean I have to face the the fact I mean I'm a landlady who's just the most incredible woman and I've been renting since I separated from my husband seven years ago from this lady and she's had severe um, medical issues herself over the last few years. So I'm her only source of income. And uh, so obviously when all of my income went and I had to go on the, the pandemic unemployment payment, like I, I, I have stayed on the pandemic unemployment payment because I, I can't take a wage because I'm still trying to rebuild the company. And I have two staff members that I need to be able to pay. So, like, that, you know, th- those are massive things and people will forget that that is trauma. No matter what way you look at that, that is trauma. And there are massive parts of, I suppose, what we consider to be trauma right now in in the here and now. And it can be connected to things that might have happened earlier in your life. But it, it, it's, it's the what's happening right now can be triggered for people. And I think that idea of not knowing what it looks like or feels like, it, it's tough to describe because and, it can be different for everybody. And do you think um, that the antidepressants helped or hindered? Absolutely, absolutely helped. Okay, like fair enough. GP That's fine. Is, Point made. My GP is incredible. She knows that I'm not so do you, I'm wanting to take tablets. Okay, do you, now, do you now try and live in the now rather than, I mean, which is worse for you, the past or the future? Um, the future is terrifying. And in the sense of, I mean, will I be able to stabilize the company? Like, we're doing well in, in some senses, but obviously there's no guarantee. My aim is to eventually be able to pay myself a wage that would, you know, be able to cover my rent and my bills. Um, I'm, I'm not asking for massive money, you know what I mean? So at the moment, that is still a scary prospect, but working towards that gives me a focus as well. And what coping mechanisms do you now use? Do you drag yourself, put on a coat and get out into the fresh air? You know? uh, sometimes if, if that is allowed, if I can allow myself or, or build myself up to that, well, say over the weekend, like I had two panic attacks on Sunday morning and I had a number of panic attacks prior to that over the weekend. For me, a panic attack, it feels like I'm having a heart attack. And the first time I had one was actually last May. And I couldn't understand what was happening. I had a panic what, attack. What is that? You want to breathe but can't? Yeah, and you feel like your chest is compressing and you can't breathe and you're catching yourself. And for me in particular, it's the... the the onslaught of like a million thoughts all at once and you're drowning in them and then you can't breathe at all. And does that pass or, or how do you cope it's with that in the, in the moment? I suppose because I had never had a panic attack before previously but I like since my own mental health issues I've been reading up an awful lot and I, I'm quite a bit of a nerd that way that I want to understand the theory of stuff. So I suppose when I was in it I didn't really know what was happening. Like I properly thought 
oh my God, I live alone. I'm going to die alone. My dog is going to have to eat me. Like that was my <laughs> first thought. And I and then That's I was pretty deep it. and dark, isn't it? I know it is, and like I, I kind of say it with a bit of a, a laugh now, but like in that moment, like I really thought, like my like my dog is a beautiful companion, and I love her, you know, I really do. But you know, she's a bit of a dick as well. So I don't think she'd be able to figure out it, you know, ring nine nine nine. I know, I know. Um, but in in that moment, somewhere in the recesses, back in the back of the brain, I remember this could be a panic attack. Start breathing. And it, I mean, that sounds like such a basic thing. But when you feel like you can't breathe, actually trying to get that first inhale is really, really difficult. Um, and I suppose I just went from like just starting with one and like being able to count one. And I only said the word one once I was able to take a full breath. And that took a really long time. To be how long? Able. Like how long? I'm just very curious. The very first one, the very first panic attack I had was about 20 minutes in length. And I'd say, I mean, I wouldn't have started like properly. Like, obviously, a lot of this is psychosomatic in the fact that you think you're not breathing. But there is obviously some air getting in, like nobody can hold their breath for 20 minutes. But do you, do you think that it's, do you think that it's smart, for want of a better word, that you are living on your own now at this time? Um, I suppose, you see, I am Mrs. Independent as well. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> perhaps now more than ever, we all need more company or more people. Yeah, you know, you but know, I have the most incredible group of friends and what they have realised is that, you know, although I was reticent to, to talk to anyone, uh, particularly when I was in my lowest moments, like the one person that did find me, Roland, I mean, he, like he has stood by me in everything and he was the one to start gradually getting me to talk to other people in our group of friends, you know. And that has helped to have somebody, I suppose, not chastise me for not talking and to be able to say it's okay that you don't want to talk. Because I do, I see that as a very, I mean, a, a horrible sense of vulnerability. And well, was there a period when the conversations that you were having with people were lies? Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, absolutely, just putting the grin on, oh, sure, I grant, and I make everything into a joke. So it's all like, oh, come here, I'm going home now, I'm going to be having a bottle of wine, and I'll be grand, yeah, I'll feel it, have a great night. And you go into that mode, that character, that you need to get through to be able to go home and be miserable. And it's a weird thing, it's that, like, solitary, hermit life, for me, gave me a sense of control, because I couldn't control anything outside of that. If, does that, does mm. that make sense mm. in any way? Mm. Um, it does. So I, and yeah. I, I suppose this is the thing, I mean, within COVID restrictions and like lockdown one, I mean, I lift my wounds, I have to say, about the work, you know, I thought I was really going to start rebuilding my life again. And, you know, to have it all taken away. There's something I couldn't even see or couldn't, you know, feel it to be a visceral thing. Um, that was really tough because I, I just I wanted to be able to stay in control, and I remember ringing my my dad and, and just been so angry and just been like how you know was I was I Hitler in a past life? Yeah, why me? All of this, and it was a very insular way of thinking, you know. And in that first week, I licked my wounds as an individual injured by society, injured by COVID, but actually 
the second and third and fourth week, I realised, Christ, I'm, I'm not the only one here. Like, this is the country, this is the world. And I suppose misery loves company. And maybe I got a little bit of solace from that idea that, you know, I, I'm allowed to feel really crap and I'm allowed to stay in bed. And that, that can be, not that I would recommend it, that you give in to those feelings all the time, but it can be a coping mechanism of, of sorts whereby you own your feelings and you can say, do you know what? I feel like crap today. I'm allowing myself a, a duvet day and I'm going to treat myself in that duvet day and I'm going to own Cause my... Other, because others believe that you would be entitled to feel crap for 10 minutes and then... Okay, that's done now. Now I need to pick myself. Easier said than done. Very much so. Like I've gotten to a point, and in within this, I suppose the lockdown level two point zero, yeah. where I'm finding what I'm doing is I'm taking it by half hour, and that was very much the case over the weekend. That particularly when I realised, like when I had this, it was a very minor panic attack on Friday, but it immediately it went off in my head as a warning of, okay this is going to be an up and down weekend. And knowing that and prepping myself that I only allowed myself to do things for like half an hour slots. That, and this is a nice thing. I'm going to bring Daisy for a little walk around the corner or I went out and I weeded the garden or, you know, which is really random because I'm terrified of spiders and then I saw a spider and then I ran back in and I didn't want to do that anymore. So, you know, there, well, there were What do you think the spider is going to do to you? Between spiders and mice, I just don't get it. But maybe that's I just. I don't me. mind mice. I, I very much. I'm all about. I actually really like mice. So and I love spiders. I think they're. I mean, oh. it's very cruel what they do to flies with their webs and that. But other than that, I mean, we're all. You should see what I do to the spiders with my Dyson. <laughs> <laughs> Your Dyson. We won't. We won't even go there. So going forward, then, are you optimistic? Um, I think, well, for me, I think, uh, I'll say it again, I am a little bit of a nerd and I do love reading and I will continue to read about mental health issues. And for me, the psychotherapist that I was going to privately, um, we were going through a, a cognitive behavioural therapy, which looks at like the sum of all your parts almost in terms of your history and why you are the way you are and why then a certain traumatic event would affect you. Well, I mean, it would affect because first of all, it's career changing. Um, it's probably yeah. in one respect, one regard, Mortifying. Um, oh, you, you, no, and and this is these are the sensations you're feeling. Nobody else is feeling them. Incidentally, just you. You you might yes. feel an element of of shame. Oh, that was one of the leading feelings, and in 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 actual fact, is a recurring feeling that sometimes I might get told, "Oh, you're the one that." Does. Yeah, but we. And I I panic, and I I I put the head down. I'm like, oh yeah, but you're like you know that's all. And I'm kind of going, I have to start, you know, I have to start realising that it's okay that I feel shame about that because, it, you know, it's normal to feel sad. I mean, when something bad happens, there has to be an equilibrium met within your own self and your own emotional um, and I suppose mental awareness. It's like you eventually will let it, you eventually will just let it all go. Uh, well, yeah, and I, I, do you know what was interesting? I mean... Um, my sister had gone through uh, post-stable depression very badly on her first child very early on in the early noughties and I remember going up and down 
uh, towards her to help her with the kid and like, she couldn't get out of bed. And, you know, she, she, her doctor was unfortunately very quick with the script in the sense of here's a load of annex. And, you know, I saw my sister turn into a zombie. And to me, that, that was a very scary thing to see. Um, and I wanted to try and get her out of it, but at the same time, she don't also need a time to heal her own To body. heal, and that's what you need. Yeah. And, and with, that, with that in mind, um, this conversation, can, is there an opportunity for you to, to help people, do you think, with regards to how you cope now and how they may if they're struggling? Well, that was the thing, I suppose, as I said, you know, for me to talk about this, you know, in a public setting, like I can, you know, I'm still a little bit shaky. I'm starting to settle a little bit now, but in this conversation, but over the weekend, like I chose to put my Facebook post public. And why I did that was because I wanted to explain that, you know, if, if you have shortness of breath or you feel your chest is, you know, falling in on you or you can't breathe or your your brain is being overrun by thoughts all at once and it, it's just, it's paralyzing. It could be a panic attack. The same can be said, though, for someone who sits still and just can't move and stares into the abyss. So, you know, there's various levels of panic attack that I think people should be aware of. And what I found really interesting was when I said how I coped with it, which was I dyed my hair over the weekend, like I'm pillar box red as of today, and I and I painted my nails hooker red, as my mother would call it. Um, and, <laughs> but they were the little moments and where I broke my days into my half an hour slot. And I had to say, I want to do something nice for me now. And I did that. And then I, you know, just very, very small. What may seem to someone else as being, that's that's not a treat. That's not a reward. But to me it is. Because it means I am not focusing on negative thoughts. Well, I just wonder, what do you do after, what do you do next after dyeing your hair pillar box red or painting your nails Hooker red. Yeah. <laughs> my mother killed me for even saying that out loud and for knowing I have hooker red nails. <laughs> what do you um, do but, next then? But you keep finding goodness in small things. And that can be whether, I don't know, it might be your favourite show on Netflix or maybe it's an old movie that you love. Or You know, there's there's a lot of talk that, you know, and, and good praise of it, of doing a grateful journal which I have attempted to do, and in my darkest of days, the pages went blank. A grateful journal, I know of those, where every morning, how does that work? You can do it mornings or nights. I mean, there's there's a thing called sleep hygiene, which um, the the guys up in the psychiatric unit in St. Mary's campus uh, were discussing with me, and I was like, oh yeah, I already learned about all that. Yeah, I darkened my room, I make sure there's no unnatural light, I make sure I don't use my phone two hours prior to bed. And you know, like I'm, I, I like rattle these things off because it, for me it's an academic learning. You, you learn to do these things and you do them. And then I want it to be fixed. I want to be fixed immediately. I'm doing all the things right. So when it doesn't work and, it, you know, I'm still struggling. And part of that sleep hygiene, they recommended a grateful journal whereby each night you take out your pen and your paper and you, you, like don't be typing it into your phone. I hate paper. But, you know, for this, exercise or you know experiment for me um, I started writing and as I said there were days that it was blank and I mean like scarily 
you know, hauntingly black, blank looking at me. And there were other days that it was just my dog's name because I searched. I wanted something to be grateful for and couldn't find it. And then there were other days where I went, I'm grateful that I was able to ring my friend today. And I'm grateful that I could talk. And I'm grateful we had a laugh. I'm grateful that we, you know, had a really good bitch about that one down there, now down the street. Because we had a great laugh off it. Do you know what I mean? And it was just, it's a tiniest of things. You know, and I think that's where people feel, and where I felt, I was a little bit lost. I couldn't find what was going to fix me until I realised that actually it's everything. It's every moment that you're alive and you wake up and you're okay. That's that's a reward, and it's about celebrating that. Interesting, yeah. You know, it's been an interesting text as well. Suffering with large issues like lockdown or retirement, uh, small issues get magnified, and PTSD can occur. I think it would be great if you could give time each week to discuss depression, anxiety, issues like Sinead's. It's even comforting just to hear the conversation and it's even more comforting for people to just have to have someone to talk to. It's kind of an interesting that, perspective. That is it? great. What really was interesting, what happened on Sunday after I posted that public post to say, look, this is what I'm going through. If you're going through it, this might be a technique or you could do this. The amount of men that rang me and no, guys, I am still single and I'm looking, but that wasn't why they were ringing on Sunday. They were ringing because they reached out and they hadn't, for one, known that I had been through any mental health issues or were suffering mental health issues, but two, they were asking me, is this what I'm going through? Because they didn't know how to talk to people. Some of these people, although I would class as friends, they were, you know, on the, on the verge of like, they, some of them, I'm not going to say all, but like some of them I hadn't spoken to in years, or they were through a work event or festival that I would have known them. And um, so would have been merging on acquaintances. And for them to pick the phone up, I found was a massive thing. So do you, do you think that then that we are dealing with almost like a tsunami of issues with regards to people and their lives because of the last six or eight months? After the response on Sunday, I mean, there was a massive outpouring of love and support, which I, I was so appreciative. And it was so overwhelming, you know, to, to see people reach out and go, you know, stay strong and all that. But it, it, for me, it was more, um, I suppose it was more of an effect to read those posts where, my God, thank you for sharing. I thought it was just me. I know, there must be fierce... Yeah, and then to receive those phone calls from people. and you know, There's got to be a lot of comfort in that for you, though. It really was, and I think that's why, like, when Brenda reached out to me, I just went, yeah, do you know what? If I can help anyone else, and what I I put up a follow-up post yesterday just to say, you know, thank you for the words of support and encouragement. You know, it's meant a lot. And more importantly, I'm hoping I'm helping some people. Yeah, yeah. I've like been in regular contact now, you know, a few times a day, only since Sunday. So I know I'm not a, I'm not a saint or anything, and I will never pretend to be. But um, there's a few of those guys staying in really good contact with me. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm here. Pick the phone up, even if you don't know me that well, because you know what? It, it is easier to talk to a stranger. Sometimes it's well, so difficult to on your friend. You well, know, I'm, I'm so delighted that you took the opportunity to come on the air and to be so honest and, and open. Um, and when all of this is over, the next time I see you, I'll give you a big bursting hug. How about that? Oh, imagine actual human contact. Like yes. <laughs> I know, I know, I know.
But look, I mean, I, I I could talk about this all day, and and I'm I'm so thankful I can now. Yeah, you know, and that 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 has come a long way. I mean, even for my dad to comment on my post on Sunday and just reach out and say you've been through the ringer, and I still love you, and I'm still proud. And then you know to have you know to have a big chat with him yesterday. This is a man who would never have understood what depression. Ah, was. sure, I know. But I tell you now, there's a lot of people listening. I will take an awful lot of courage and confidence from our conversation. Guaranteed. I hope so I yeah. really hope so. Yeah. And look, I mean, I not that I'm giving up my number online unless any really good-looking men, you know, <laughs> late thirties, early forties, want to get in touch. Well, there's some. There's another thing to look forward to then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, COVID dating. I, I don't see how that would work. Um, or I don't see the point of it, Neil. Zoom dating, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> I think I might just stick with the dog for now. We'll wait all right, for well, I'll let, you, I'll let you zoom on for now. You're all right. very good. And thank you. And look, the best to everybody out there having their own struggles. And they're all relatives. That is one thing you learn. No matter if you think, Asher, Tony, I'm only having a bad day. It's still a bad day for you, and people need to be mindful of that. Good for you. So, Look after yourself. Take good. care of yourself. Thanks so Thanks much, Sinead. Take care. Thanks one and only Sinead Dunphy. Lines open on 1850 104 106 if you'd like to pick up on that or text 086 8104 106. And I'm back directly after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Yes, indeed. Uh, I know Kieran is only. I'll talk to him in a few minutes' time. Just uh, a couple of emails, though. I'd love if you could say a huge thank you to Tim from Abbey Mobility, Neil. What a kind and wonderful man. He has repaired my mother-in-law's stair lift for the last year. She's 91, registered blind, and her hearing isn't the greatest. I had the pleasure of meeting him last night. I only ever spoke to him on the phone. He was so kind and gentle with her. He came into the sitting room, fully protected, mask and everything, knelt down as she was where she was so as as she was sitting. So he was on the same level so she could get uh, so she could see him. I was blown away by his kindness. I should mention that her chair stopped working again. Uh, somebody else came to look at the chair, dis- dismantled it, the chair was left not working and told my mother in law she needed a new chair and it would cost six and a half thousand euro. I was in a state of shock. I contacted Tim. Within 15 minutes, he was at the door with a lovely guy called Jonathan. That was eight in the evening. They had her chair up and going again within two hours. I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Tim and all his team at Abbey Mobility, says Lisa. You know, these kind gestures need to be marked and need to be brought on air. So I'm delighted, Lisa. I'd love to hear more stories like that. Can you imagine the amount of people as well who have had pieces of equipment like that um, just dispatched to recycling because somebody said, nah, no good, it's gone, forget about it, will never work again, you're going to have to replace it. And that wasn't the case. Six and a half grand there was saved. I don't want to come on air, but listening to callers on your program, I just feel people are so selfish uh, and all about me, me, me. Uh, and my mental health. This is nothing to do with Sinead, incidentally. This is from last week's program. What about all the elderly out there that are absolutely petrified at this time, afraid to leave their homes? If all of these people just did what was asked of them, we wouldn't be here in the first place at level five. All this talk on your program about the gyms, the salons, the retail shops closing. Well, why can't people get out for a walk, do their own hair, and wear the clothes that you have in your wardrobe? I lost my job for the second time this year uh, over COVID and I'm sick to death of people's whinging. The government has hardly reckoned the economy for no particular reason. 
You know, I came off Facebook last week because of reading people's negative comments every single day. All those selfish, self-obsessed people out there need to give it a rest. Follow the guidelines. We'll see our way out of this nightmare. Thanks, Neil. Don't give them my details. There's no doubt I'll get people ringing in, freaking out about my comments, and I'm not able for them anymore. Well, there'd be both sides. The people calling in, freaking out, and the people who are in agreement with you. I, I don't think that everybody would be in agreement, for instance, with you saying uh, the government is hardly wrecking the economy for no reason. There's an amount of people, an ever-growing amount of people wondering about that one. Uh, Love the show, especially as I'm living so far from home in the United States for so many years now. I'm all for people wearing masks and washing their hands and social distancing and self-isolation if they're out in the country, if they're out of the country, away from home. I have several friends here in the States from Cork as well as from Cork who are all staying put and not coming back to Ireland in the hopes that the pandemic will pass. Well, it will pass eventually. We are all doing the right thing. Yes, I could self-isolate if I came back to Cork, but it's very hard for myself and the others here to get all that time off, pay that amount of money to isolate somewhere when I would normally stay with my mum, for instance. I get it. However, it's been well over a year since I saw my mum. She's elderly and she lives alone back there in Cork. I am dependent on my friends and the odd relative to check up on her and I'm so grateful for that. It just hurts. None of us, none of my Irish friends and I would put anyone at risk and we're doing the right thing by staying away here in America. It maddens me to hear all of the tourists and people coming into Ireland without giving a damn about spreading COVID. Um, I'm not that irresponsible. Anyhow, I'm just venting. I miss my mother. I miss Cork like so many others like me. Uh, at least I have my Barry's tea bags. Thank you for that. Um, I hope you don't run out anytime soon. Mind you, if you do, come back to me and we'll see if we can organize a fresh supply because Barry's Tea are so good to me. And we always, they have a great marketing department. One of the best marketing departments I've ever come across is the marketing department of Barry's Tea. They're unreal. Tato aren't bad either, actually. Any of the times that I've dealt with Tato in the past, they've never let me down either. Morning, Neil. I'm listening to Sinead on the phone about PTSD and my heart breaks for her. She's such a strong woman. It's a pleasure to listen to a real person on the air telling their real story. I can relate to that lady in ways, but my PTSD and panic attacks, however, my circumstances are very, very different. Mental health is something that needs to be discussed and highlighted during these difficult times, more so than ever now. I'm doing a charity skydive for Youth Suicide Prevention Ireland. I've been raising money for this charity during COVID. It saddens me that mental health is being swept under the carpet. And I think you're referring to the mental health struggles that many people are going through uh, since February. Uh, And of course, many since way before that, but a lot of it uh, has manifested itself in people's lives because of COVID-19 and the fear and the restrictions and the guidelines that we have to live with. Kieran, thank you. You've been waiting an age. I do appreciate it. Good morning to you. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? And I'm good, thank you. And I know that you too have been through uh, some very deep and dark times, uh, like Sinead describes there. Um, and without going into too much detail on this, you did mention uh, that the traumas in your past life involved um, institutional abuse, isn't that right? That's correct, Neil, yes. Yeah. Um, like a year and a half ago, I was afraid to say institutions or even talk about institutions and what happened to me in my life. But no, I I, I speak freely of it, like, and it, it releases, you know, it's just the more people know about it, the more 
I become released from that anxiety and stress and that, you know. So did you have to sit down family and friends and say, when I was, a, you know, when I was small, I had an awful time? Yes. So um, my wife, um, she's very, very extremely supportive to me, with my, even with my kids. And I explained it to her what, exactly what happened. And it, it was horrible. It was disgusting. Because in, in the past, I was physically, mentally and sexually abused, not naming any places. But there was one particular time in a certain bar, I sat down with my wife and two kids, and that was it for me. But previous, but previous to opening up and being honest with them, you were in a very, very dark place where there was no future for you whatsoever, and you had made plans in that regard, I believe, am I right? Yeah, so look, all my relationships over the years were all, I suppose, false, and there was just like somewhere to stay, somewhere to live, and that, and I, I just didn't know where to go or what to do, and it was kind of like lean on somebody all the time, even though there was no practically no love for that person or whatever. So you were emo- emotionally barren then, were you? Correct, correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but there was one particular time in that barren, and I said to my wife, and my two kids, just go. And they said, well, just, just go, get out, I don't want to talk to you, get out. I started an argument. And that was my day that I wanted to take my whole life. And that was the day that you, um, that was the day that you texted your goodbye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's just oh. horrible. And still, to just stay upset about it. Like, I mean, there's a lot more people out there worse off than I am. Well, thank God you didn't, because you're, you know, you're still here, you're still with them, you are loved, and you got treatment. Yes, yeah, the treatment came from Jean Toomey in Glenmire. She, uh, I honestly needed only for that lady, and she's a psychotherapist. I can tell you right now, I would not be walking on this, this doctor only. And every day, I have horrible days, and... She says, pick up the phone, ring me or text me. And my wife and kids, they're so supportive of me. Um, my life is more or less only starting in the last year and a half, two years since I got psychotherapy. And people actually listen to me. You know, it's, I actually look forward to going to my psychotherapist uh, because you can offload. And it was just Were you diagnosed with PTSD? Yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah, okay. And the the type of treatment was was rather different to... Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to dwell on medication or... I'll open up nearly all medication and that. I'm on antidepressants and that. Um, which, did they do help me in that, you know, and really kind of stabilise your mind and that. And, but what I was in, your station was for... Um, Jean Tumingamaya, she does this thing called EDMR, which has been scientifically proven um, for PTSD, um, and it originated from the state. So, for all these soldiers who came back from war, they were suffering with massive PTSD, and this uh, it's called EDMR. And what it is, it's like two strobes in your hand with light on each, and you have headphones on. And there's a beeping. And what it does mean, it kind of opens all, all. A lot of people suffer from depression, what's in the front of their head, what they see. But what people don't understand is the, the amount of crap, for want of a better word, is at the back of your head that needs to come out. And so what happens is this, this, this the EDMR brings that out and it just releases it. Like, 
as strongly advise people to go for just to do it once or twice. Or maybe the best we could ask people to do is to start researching it. This this would have been, uh, you're saying it's a treatment that would have been used, say, American soldiers coming back as an example from Afghanistan, perhaps. Correct, correct. Yes. Okay. It's been scientifically proven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and look, I'm walking the earth because of that EDMR, because of Gene Toomey and that, and I wouldn't be here only for that EDMR. It just opens your mind. It takes all that dirt and horribleness from the back of your mind. It brings it out. So in due time, then it just empties your mind of it. You know, and you just, you, your concept of life is totally different. It gives it gives you different feelings towards people as well that you never had before. Like just that hug. If you give your wife a hug and there's a lot of love embraced in that hug years ago, if I gave my wife a hug, it would be just for the sake of a hug. Yeah. They must be so happy with your improvement. No, Neil, don't get me wrong, I do annoy the hell out of her every now and again. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you and me both, that's what we do yeah. as dads. <laughs> but but, yeah. but there must be, I mean, it must be such a huge, momentous change in all of your lives. Yeah, um, like, my wife there, she's fantastic, so supportive in that, and uh, only, for, only for her, I, I wouldn't be walking the face of the earth, and she's so happy now the fact that I can... Very, very emotionally involved in my marriage, which I never had before. Yeah, late, better late than never, though. Yeah, try to tell her that. Oh, no, better late than never. I mean, here we are having a bit of a laugh and a joke. Yeah, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have seen that coming two or three years ago. I'm sure. No, no. You know, absolutely not. No. Like even that day, it was a case of I came home and she gave me a hug, and I the, that hug that I got from my wife was like the embrace of the whole world that gave me a big hug, you know, to mind me and that and say, look, everything's going to be okay. I just wonder how people are coping um, with all of the stresses in life and the, and the worries and the anxiety and the unknown of the last six or seven months, you know? Yeah. Because for many people, the life changes have, have been enormous. You know, I'm not, I'm not just talking about, you know, oh, you can't go out and you can't meet your friends, but there would be financial worries, the house mm-hmm. and the roof over your head worries, job um, you know, it could be having a, a, an effect on people's health, mental and physical, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I do go to um, uh, gym, energy, fitness, and I love going down there. And it's stopped now, obviously. Like, but um, I suppose make here when the sun shines, get out there and go walking. And like, even though you have to do your two-meter distancing and talk to people, people that you never met, if you're passing them on the road a few times, you're, you're going to start engaging with these people like um, I, I, I've headphones on I listen to a lot of uh, George Michael songs and all that and that really I I love that music and it makes me happy um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's just like stupid. it's just of an 80s playlist you know you yeah. get those on Spotify yeah but um, go up the woods cost nothing to go up the woods maybe. just go up the woods and get lost with your kids in the woods and the, the, the beauty of that is to find your way out of the woods, which is fantastic. Yeah. You, could be, yeah. Uh, you don't need money to do things like this. And these things meant nothing for you to you years back. Nothing. No, but they do now. No. It's like, a, it's oh, like a, yeah. a new adventure you're going on. Uh, look, it's the start of my life, to be quite honest. 
Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little bit more research later in the next couple of days into EDMR machines and perhaps, um, you know, come back and revisit that again. Do you st- is this ongoing treatment that you do regularly? Well, it was, but um, I took time off from it for a while um, because it is it is very tiring on your mind in that. Um, you do get extremely tired in that. Um, so, but speaking to a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist or whatever is would be ongoing, yeah. And does any of that involve having to go back to the traumatic youth? Um, oh, you know, yeah. Start at the very beginning. Um, from like when you enter an institution at two and a half, three years of age, and what you can remember right up to right, 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 right up to date. And wh- how how do you how, how do you deal with the emotions of that? I mean, is is there is there anger? Are you encouraged to try and find forgiveness, or what are the emotions? Um, the emotions are more or less. Uh, what, why didn't I have a, a life like my son does now? Uh, he, he's he's eleven. Like he's out playing, he's having fun and games. And why wasn't I allowed that? It, it's more sadness that I, I was. was not allowed to do these things. Like um, just the, the smallest things back then are massive for me now. Like, uh, like a bike. I, it took me so many years to get a bike. Mm. Uh, everybody has had a bike. Mm. A bike is, is stands out in my memory, like you know. Yeah, the, the the timeline of a child. Yeah, you were denied all of that. Yeah, yeah, I was erased more or less. You know, it's like um, it's just erased. My, I thought I didn't have uh, childs. What children have now, like fun and games. And I know that children go through horrible times as well. But like it's. If there's anything to come over this conversation, then it's it, it, put your hands out and hug what you have. No, just grab it, you know, because I mean, I never want to go back to that place again. Yeah, never. Yeah, yeah. It's so, horrible. Sometimes we're just always looking for, you know, what we can get. You know, when will we ever have enough and not realize what we have or what simple things really are the most important. And the most important thing in life is life. Yeah, and having, just having enough. You know, being able to say, I have enough. The little is enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I have to say, like, it's... People out there are suffering from mental trauma. It's it's not nice I've been there. I still am there. It's not nice, but lean on the people who, who support you so much and don't be afraid to open up about it. Well said. Lovely talking to Karen. Delighted that you're on the right track and making up for lost time. Look after yourself. Thanks, Cheers. Back after 11. Text 0868104106. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And right across this week, we have wonderful, wonderful prizes again from Tom Durkin Meats. And it's your opportunity to win for yourself one of our wonderful hamper boxes. Um, and uh, what's in it, you might ask? Well, there's all, among other things, there is a beautiful piece of spiced beef. It also means steak, diced steak, pork chops, strip loin steaks, sirloin beef burgers, 
and large chicken fillet. So this would be meat boxes for two people. Now you're not gonna you're not gonna sit down and eat it all in one go, but it'll get you across the week. And you can actually buy them uh, because some Durkin meats um, have them online, and you can organise it yourself by. Uh, also, they're even doing Christmas orders now by phone, and they're providing free local delivery. So further details as to how you can get these beautiful products uh, from Tom Durkin Meats, www.tomdurkinmeats.ie and we have them to give away this morning and right across the week and also a kilo of the Blosna Heron Gold Award winning spiced beef. Um, at any time of the year, it's beautiful. It really is, whether it's in a sandwich or indeed maybe something by way of a piece of spiced beef uh, for Christmas. So all that between now and midday uh, today. Our lines are open for all of the business. What the hell are this government playing at? They seem to be making things up as they go along, Neil, pandering to the public opinion. Michal Martin, Leo Verrett, Karim and Ryan were put in power to lead. Uh, but for me, the current government is more like the 1990 Spielberg classic, Pinky and the Brain. I haven't seen that one. While the Greens may not be at the races in political terms, I get a sense that Michal Martin, uh, Pinky, and Leo Varadkar, Brain, are plotting daily to try and take over Ireland. We all know that without a healthy dose of obeying the coronavirus regulations, COVID-19 is not going away. But like the cartoon series, Varadkar and Martin seem to have a different plan each day, depending on the public opinion. Now the pair have the ludicrous notion of extending the midterm in an effort to stop the spread. Seriously, have they even stopped for one minute to think this one out? The reason we went into lockdown in March in the first place was to flatten the curve so the children could go back to school. We all know there was very little teaching carried out between March and September. Now the government is rewarding the teachers again with more time off. The teachers are not back a wet week and they want to give them an excuse to leave the classroom early. This is a joke. We all know that teachers don't need much of a reason to down their crayons and pencils to walk off the job in the first place. There was no reason the Leaving Cert couldn't go ahead in June, but the Holy Trinity and government uh, carved or uh, caved in to the teachers' unions once again. What's going to happen if they extend the midterm? Children will go to their grandparents. They shouldn't be visiting in the first place or they'll be put into creche as their parents will need to go to work. The children of stay-at-home mums and dads will then more likely mix more than usual, spreading the virus even more for the extra week or two that's in it. Michal and the gang, the situation is simple. Go back to basics. Wash your hands, keep your distance, limit your contacts, says Michael in Middleton, who's suggesting that if you wash your hands, keep your distance, limit your contacts, we should all be able to get on with our lives. I mean, what's it all about? Like, over the weekend, there are teenagers all gathering in groups. They're still all gathering in groups. They're all hanging out together in groups. None of that has changed in any way, shape or form. Anyway, pick up the phone on that, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Debbie, good morning. Good morning. An interesting real-life scenario that you came across there recently. Was this yesterday in Duns in Douglas Court? It was indeed, Neil. Yeah. Yes. Okay, tell us about it. So, um, my mum um, asked me, would I go to Duns to get um, a vest and pyjamas for my brother who might be going into hospital today? And went there, and when I went into the left of the retail, there was all kind of a, like... Um, the life you kind of like a zoned off uh, taped around the drapery as in drapery retail uh, clothes but to my right it was all exposed to duvets cushions candles and I said there's no access to the clothes to uh, that member and she said no by the new regulations 
Like oh, Leo Varadkar made a big deal over, of this over the long weekend. You're aware of that? I am indeed. Yeah. But I did think that uh, basic needs like um, underwear, socks, jammers, um would be classed as a necessity uh, compared to as much as I like Carlin Donnan cushions and candles were being allowed to sell, which in the same roof, in the same store. So I was very taken aback. Um, I requested to see a manager. He was actually very nice, but he was, there was no, no way. He was like, no, this is the rules. We can't bend them. So I said to him, I said, um, his manager is Shane. I said, Shane, are you trying to tell me that I can't get underwear? I said, what happened to the underwear, the socks in the grocery? Oh, we've moved them, he said. So I said, they're not a necessity. He said, we're not allowed to sell. No underwear, no pyjamas, no, no. socks. Um, no. Did you meet a woman when you were there? I did. I did, Neil. Uh, as I was talking to the manager, I, I, I met this lady, a lovely lady, didn't know her at all. But she was quite shaken. Her mum had just passed away. And she was being waked today, so I'm thinking of her. She was all in black, lovely lady. Um, and her brother has brothers had flew in from London, um, obviously with these terrible circumstances. Yes. And could, couldn't get white shirts. She was visibly shaken. She had an empty trolley and she was like, um, I can't get them, I can't get the white shirts. And they're coming in the house in the morning. So um, I said to her, I can try help you, I'll Google it. So I tried. And I tried a few places where, you know, like Pat Morley and Simply Soups. And um, because of Bank Holiday, they weren't answering. I was thinking maybe they could do, instead of a transaction, that they could do a delivery service. Click and collect, I imagine, a lot of these businesses Well, you see, I said click and collect. But what it was, was the manager said to me, we can't guarantee the delivery for the morning. But they were in the building. Like, you say, you could see the shirts, but you couldn't buy them. No. I couldn't see the. I couldn't get the vest. The lady was looking for the shirt. I was looking for pajamas for my brother. Going into hospital, yeah. For vest. So even like, yeah. would that would that not be allowed on compassionate grounds? Say, for instance. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking, and the manager wasn't willing. And I said I could take my risk. I I said or, or I said, can I go over and buy a Carolyn Donnelly cushion and refund it? It's a purchase, and then exchange it. And he said no. No. Click and no. collect. And I no. said, well, that doesn't do for this lady's time and my time. Because we need it now. You see, the unfairness of it last time round, correct me if I'm wrong, but the big multiples were selling clothing and footwear and socks and underwear and stuff, while smaller retailers had to close. Wasn't that it? I, I get that, Neil. Yeah. And they wanted to make it for, fair on everybody this time. Yes, but being fair is not exactly helping people when they're mourning their loved ones. But it, it, even that raises another question, and without wanting to attract any attention, undue attention to that that woman whose mother died. How can two people come in from the UK and go to a funeral? I don't know, Neil. I don't even know the lady. But you see I, what I, I, yeah, I, know. I I do. I see what you're saying. But all I was thinking of is this lady just lost her dear mum. I know. I know. And I, know. I, and I mean, I, I understand about, you know, and I'm the most person respecting. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I obey by the rules. I sanitize. I don't go out, you know unless it's necessary. And um, when you find that people can go and buy a lampshade or a candle or a bottle of whiskey or, or a, a cushion, selection yeah, box yeah. and cushions and you can't get basic needs. And I totally understand the retail as well because there is people out there who have lost their jobs. There's there's businesses that have like le- legendary like trade top of the range gear and they can't trade. 
but at the same time it basically surely should be underwear. Yes, here's and an interesting one. Yesterday I was in Dunn's Drapery Store when they closed. I saw a man pleading with the manager to allow him buy new newborn baby grows and other items. He explained his wife had just given birth to their first child. Apparently the clothes they bought brought to the hospital didn't fit the baby. You can never tell, I suppose. Uh, he says, I also saw an elderly lady looking for pyjamas and underwear for her husband who was in hospital. These items should be deemed, um, I suppose, uncom- why are clothes deemed non-essential and McDonald's in an off-license is deemed essential? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, they've definitely got it wrong this time. I, I, I just, I, I, I'm But so if you saw, if you saw the big Dunn's, Tesco, Aldi, Lidl, selling footwear and clothing and dresses and shirts and sweaters and socks and jocks. And you had a small business. You'd be very annoyed. And, and that's why I'm saying I understand. But a small business who has boxes should be allowed as well. It's like they've got it wrong. The basic needs of people, for the example, that newborn baby. Before people going to hospital, funerals that people have to attend. She I needed. Mean, she surely. needed white shirts now. Like she needed them. Absolutely, now. and and surely you cannot predict when someone passes like that, whether it's COVID reason or anything. Yeah, yeah. And we all, we as long as I, my mum would always say, I want all my boys, everyone, with respect, in a white shirt and a black suit. And that's I don't know whether it's the old way, but it's a follow tradition of respect. Yeah, interestingly, uh, you've got the floodgates opened on this now. Same thing happened to me in Dunn's Bishopstown. I needed a man's pyjamas for my brother in hospital. They had them there, would not sell them. Tesco had them for sale, but only had smaller sizes. I went into deals and I got them there. And somebody else says that Aldi are selling pyjamas for kids. I just bought some for mine. Um, it's all over the place, isn't it? Well, I just, I just think, Neil, um, you know, they're being stricter on the people who are following and trying to do the right thing with this COVID. And then they're too elusive with other stuff like the off licenses, you know, people going out not parenting properly, you know, letting their children mix. I mean, I'm, it's so frustrating. I know, I know. And we're all trying to get the same aim. But I can't, I mean, but like, honestly, to someone to lose a dear mom, my, I, I was so upset last night over that lady. I don't even know her. But I, I can honestly say I was I was hit home at how how in control people can make decisions at a round table about people's lives when we're all trying to do the right thing. And it should be really looked at and addressed. Okay. Thank you for taking now, the call. The other thing I was just going Sorry, to say Delia. that yeah. when when Simply Suits did call me back last night at eight o'clock and said, Sorry, it's a bank holiday. And I just explained, look, I said it was a stranger. I don't have her number. She was looking for white shirts. But I said, thank you so much for ringing. I wish I had kept the lady's number. But I just thought there is people out there and there is businesses that probably wouldn't have done a sale. They would have just probably did a, a collect or drop off just to accommodate. A oh, you can be sure of if, if the time had permitted. Yeah, yeah. One wonders yeah. whether on so compassionate grounds. I just grounds that, to highlight that yeah. they, they, do ha- they do have to go back okay. and check what they're doing. And for the people to understand that we shouldn't be controlled this way either. These are these are necessities. And it was, Neil, it was so disgusting that people were looking at Christmas decorations and picking them up and cushions and duvets and their material stuff, the same as retail. And it was just, I, I, I just, yeah, uh, I just well, don't yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all I'm saying is to, is for, for people and managers, 
if I was that store manager, I have a lot of retail experience and a lot of empathy for people. But surely on compassionate grounds, I mean, you can judge people, you know, a person all dressed, a beautiful lady dressed all in black. Go over, go over and stand in the corner there and I will bring you a shirt. I won't charge you for it. No I'll transaction. He's shirt. not breaking the rules, but her needs to be met at this terrible time. I know, I know, I know. All right. Thanks, Debbie. Appreciate it. Thank you. Much obliged. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Why do you think off licenses aren't closing or the drink aisle in supermarkets? Like that lots of other things like this have closed and, you know, much of retail has... You know, move to either online if you're capable of doing that. Not everybody is capable of uh, clicking collect or putting that kind of system in place. Right. Is, is, is the alcohol, is the alcohol all about control? You know, just, just wondering, would anybody, um, go with this for a moment with me that like, as long as people are drinking, they're controlled, you know, because you, you'll be at home or you'll be having your few drinks and you'll be whingy and moany, but you'll be lethargic and you'll be, you know, the drink will, you know, keep you quiet, um, you know. Whereas if there wasn't, um, say, off-licenses open or if there wasn't alcohol on sale in supermarkets, that people would start to rationalise things more about, you know, how unhappy they are or how wrong this is and that they may well take to the streets in larger numbers kind of thing. I wonder, is that the reason why, you know, the alcohol keeps people under control, keeps them, you know keeps them from thinking. Just a thought out loud. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. And then some are and some aren't. Tesco and Yall are selling underwear. Not any other clothes, though, but yes to underwear. Aldi's are selling pajamas for kids. And somebody else says, I bought the onesies. Your man was onesies in Aldi yesterday for my godson. Marie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Okay, what happened to you in Dunn's Bishopstown? Um, well, yesterday, my brother was just uh, admitted into the accident and emergency. Oh, um, he's okay. So we thought, yeah, he's, he's grand. He came home again late last night. But we just thought, you know, now, pyjamas. So we said, well, he's there. We'll go looking for one. So I started in Tesco in Wilton. Now, they had them and they had them on sale, but they didn't have the size. So we said, right, we'll go out to John. But explain to me, so. why would it, why would you be allowed to buy pyjamas but not a white shirt? Oh, I think they should be allowed to buy a white shirt as well, to be honest with you. It's a necessity for people. It yeah. really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, went from there out to John's and they had them and they were railed up. So we asked to see the manager and he came over and we asked him, could we have pyjamas? We had somebody in hospital and it was, uh, you know, a necessity. We needed a pyjamas. And he said, no way would he be allowed to sell them. So my friend was with me and she said to him, but you're selling Christmas candles and Christmas cards. She said, sure, they're not a necessity. It isn't Halloween yet. Well, he said, I'm sorry, I can't sell them. So we left there. Did you, say, did you say Tesco or sell them? Tesco were selling men's pyjamas, yeah. But they just didn't have the size we wanted. Yeah. So did you them. say that to the guy in Duns? I did. I did. He said, well, I can't help you. We can't sell them, he said. What he said to me is, if a guard come in the door and I'm selling that to you, I'd be in trouble. That's what he said to us. So, <laughs> if oh, a guard came in, you'd be in yeah. trouble for selling you a pair for of men's pajamas. Yeah, he told us. Is that we what we already... got to know? Is that where we're at now? God. Yeah, that's what he said to us. Now he said the guards had already been in in the morning. He said checking out. 
So we it's said, checking right, out whether or not they were selling things that they shouldn't be. I know, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we left there and we went into town and we saw that deals was open there. Um, oh, above the Grand Parade, you know, just that deal there up as you go down to the Cold Gate. Yes, um, yeah, the old Argus building, isn't it? That's right, that's right. Here we said we'll try there. So in we went, pajamas, dressing gowns, socks, underwear, no bother. So Would they normally sell deals. those things in deals or are they just selling they do. them now? Okay. They do, they do, yeah, yeah. So there's no, no guard, no guards went into deals because they were selling pajamas. There was. Was that? There was. The guard came into deals while we were there and he walked around the whole shop and off he went out again. Yeah. There was a guard came in while we were there. <coughs> Excuse me. So some <laughs> are, some aren't. Yeah. I mean, would they make up their mind? And that's what's wrong at the moment. Some shops are open, some are not allowed open. Sure, people don't know what's going on. And did you get the pajamas in the right size and deals? Yeah, I did. And in the I end of the day, he never got to wear them because they let him go home. No, have they let him out? But anyway, <laughs> that's the story of our life. We well, haven't do the wrong thing. No, no. At least you have <laughs> them in the drawer. Exactly. That's yeah. right. That's right. Because <laughs> they won't even ask whether or not he wears pajamas at home or not. That's. <laughs> That's where no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who does? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, Neil, when we left there, then we drove down the coal and we came up the North Main Street and the guard was going into the two euro shop in the North Main Street. Looking for pajamas, is it? And what he was looking for, but he was going in there and the rest. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> so buy much by way of pajamas now or a shirt with two euro, I'd say, would you? Not at all, not at all, not at all. But I'd say he was just making his presence known, maybe. But oh, anyway. all right, there you go. Off to Temple Moor to police whether or not oh. people are selling pajamas. Thanks, Marie. And good morning. Morning. See, we can, we mustn't forget that many businesses, small businesses that sell fashion items that are involved in retail, that sell hosiery, is that the right term? Uh, can't do business at the moment. So they're saying, well, if we can't do it, it's wrong that Duns and Tesco and Aldi and Lidl are doing it. So that's why, you know. Anyway, you were in Ballyvalan, was it? I was in Ballyvalan, Duns, uh, Neil, while go there. And I was looking for a quilt. And there was a lady there and she was crying. So I asked her what was wrong with her. And she said, well, I have a daughter, she said, in the psychiatric ward, she said, she went in last night and I have no ja- pyjamas or underwear for her. And she said, no way will they give it to me. So I said, that's desperate altogether. And there was a man just standing at the side. So I said to him, excuse me. I said, is this the case that we can't buy pyjamas and we can't buy underwear, but we can buy a candle that belongs to Caroline Donnelly or we can buy a lampshade? And he just looked at me like, I said, I'm looking for a quilt. Oh, he said, they're down there in the back wall. Oh, I said, I can buy that, all right. Oh, yes, he said, that's essential, is that right, I said. But I said, what would you do with the old one? At home, will you take that back? Oh, no, he says, uh, you can do what you like with that. I said, is that right? He said, you must be going walking for the day. No, I said, I'm going up to the Phoenix Park, up to meet Leo, because he'll definitely be up there with his sleeping bag. And I said, what about the off-license? I said, why don't you put a tape around that? No, I said. That's where the trouble is coming from, I said. Not from the pyjamas and the underwear. Well, that's an excellent point, well made. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, he said you could take that up with Leo. Well, well, in fairness to him, it's not his job, really. He's just following what they've been told to do. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't they they close the off-license, Neil? 
Well, that's, that's where the trouble is coming from. It's about control, really. I think. I think it. I, mean, I think it is anyway. Trolleys, they're dragging trolleys of drink out. Have you seen trolleys of drink going out? I have, yeah. I have, yeah. I mean, done the last, and I have seen it going out. And there's nobody telling them that ration this or ration that. No way. No way. But you can't buy underwear or pajamas. That's needed. Well, you can in some places and not in others. It seems to be all up in the air, whether you're going to Tesco or Dunn's or Aldi or Deals. Some do and some don't. But that poor misfortunate woman was trying to buy pajamas for her daughter who had just gone into the COH and she didn't manage to buy them, did she? No, she's gone, but I think about a point well made. Uh, Breda, good morning. Morning, Neil. Okay. It's interesting there where Anne, Anne was saying, although she was giving a bit of jip to the poor fellow working there and he's only doing his job, saying, why would you be open to sell me a duvet um, or you won't sell me a pair of jammers, but you'll sell me booze? Yeah, um, well, that's right. I agree with the clothes, um, and particularly for babies, little babies. My own grandson is growing out of this baby grows, and she can't get them now. And she got caught in the hop, not knowing the shops were going to close, uh, you know, Duns and that, who do sell uh, baby things. And um, like my niece needed shoes for her little girl. The babies grow out of things. Oh, in weeks, they do. Yeah, they fly off licenses now. Of course, people are going on saying they should close the off licenses. And I know, I know drink causes problems and makes people angry. It makes people have parties and gatherings and what have you. But these people will do those things anyhow. They'll get it somehow or they'll take something else, other drugs, if they can't get alcohol. We've enough problem with drunk, drugs all over the city now. People addicted to drugs. And if, they, if people who drink and take a couple of drinks... If they can't get that, in particular young people, they're going to go for something else. And that's definite. Other drugs, you mean, is it? Yes, yes. But what about, what about if people are, if people are wheeling trolley loads of drink out of supermarkets, as was suggested a few seconds ago? Well, that's a bit of an exaggeration because I'm in the supermarket every day because I, I do my little few bits every day and I haven't seen, I've seen people getting drink, yeah, but I haven't seen people wheeling trolley loads out of the supermarket I haven't they could put some kind of a, a bit of a, a, a kind of um, a restriction on that and say like you can get so much whatever but they can't they couldn't close them but why, why is it that all of the all of these businesses are closed you know whether it's the hairdressers or the gyms whether it's the fashion shops or those that sell shoes or um, so many different things in our lives are now shut and businesses have been put on hold. But there shouldn't but, be. But through all there of this... Be. Yeah, but through like all of this, alcohol, and there's been a huge increase in the amount of uh, domestic violence cases being reported to the Gardaí, right? Yeah, but that's the my point as well. The helplines yeah. were never busier, uh, and as we know, and, Mar- and, and I have to say, Marie Cassidy, the state pathologist on this program, said to me three weeks ago when I was talking to her about the book that she re- wrote, she said, the vast majority of incidents that she's dealt with in her career involved alcohol. Yeah, but if people who are, if people have a problem with alcohol, right, some people, okay, I know that, I understand all that. But if people who need drink, whatever, right, if they can't get it, they're going to, as I said, they're going to go to something else, especially young people. But other people, they're going to go home, right, you're going to have another 
load of people, guys or women, whoever, they're going to go home and they're, because they're off their heads because they can't get their drink, they're going to take it out on their wives and our and husbands, our children, whatever. So you're going to, that's like a 50-50 thing. But they haven't even, but there isn't, I'm not... I'd I'm not be worried about the youngsters going on to something else if they can't get the couple of drinks that they drink. And... Um, you know, um, they're going to go. They're going to definitely go for something else if they can't get the drink. So I know it's an awful thing. It's very hard. It is an awful thing that you're suggesting that young people at a very young age need drink at all. But no, yes, I know, I know. I'm not saying that they need need it. I'm saying that people who kind of have the few drinks, and if they can't get that, no, they can't go out. There's nowhere to go. They're going. They're, they're going. An awful lot of them are going to go on to something. It's going to try it, whereas they mightn't have tried it, and they might have had their own few drinks. Like, do you know, they might have a problem with it. But just I know. Ones but do you not think a it's a bit but bizarre? If a problem at home, and if they can't get it, then older people with kids and stuff, if they if they can't get their drink, they're going to they're also going to go and cause trouble at home and beat up their wives, our husbands, our and kids if they can't get it as well. You know, well, you know that is that is a valid point. But with, and then what? there's going to be A and E's and everything with women up there with injuries, kids with injuries, uh, and what have you. Um, it's going to it's going to cause and people being hospitalised for injuries because they're getting beaten up at home and they will they will get. You don't think that drink. alcohol remains to be sold because if it wasn't, people would get very angry with the situation they find themselves in and the government would. a lot of people would and a lot of people I'd say as well Neil for depression I'd say like that somebody I'm not talking about somebody that were a problem with drink somebody that might have two we just say no they're two at night to relax or whatever to help them sleep if they're kind of like um, you know uh, suffering with anxiety like and they find it hard to sleep. They might have one or two. And then if they if they can't even have that outlet. Morning, so. Neil. It says here, big queues at the off-licenses all weekend with younger people, particularly on the College Road area. The gatherings in houses are also continuing. Young people still don't care. Plain as day, many of them walking into houses all the long weekend long with loads of slabs of cans. I saw them myself. Yeah, well, they will do that. They will do that. And they'll do that anyway. And they will go on to something else if they can't get the drink. And outside of that, what are the guys? doing that they're not up in the college road constantly and that's that's going on why are they why how come they're not up there watching how come they're not up there well, watching, I, cars? I, 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 watching yeah. cars going a few miles beyond their 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 uh, uh, low distance why are they up there watching all that like why are they why are they watching they won't get any money for watching um hoses up in the college road policing that area they won't get any but they'll get I don't money, all right for watching people going down to y'all to sit in the beach like that man that morning, why can't why can't people go down and sit at the beach uh, in their car and look out and what have you? No, I just was making the point. No, and thank you very much for your contribution. I was just making the point that uh, this morning, if somebody is, needs to go to a funeral to bury a father or a mother, they can't get a brand new white crispy white shirt. They should be able, but to, they can get a bottle of white the, wine instead of all the small retailers. Uh, getting stuck in, in the bigger ones that were allowed to open they should all stand together and they should all decide to open because if they're sanitising, if they're letting a few people in at the same time and everything, that's safe that's the safest you're going to get and it's going to, like, we don't need a dress or, or anything because we've nowhere to go but like you need essentials and Good who's stuff. to say what's essential, okay. what's essential to one person might be essential to somebody else okay, thanks like for that funerals and babies yeah, and yeah. 
small children. Well, you would think over the years an awful lot of us have closed in there that we should go revisit anyway, you know, uh, God exactly knows. for adults, yeah, we have. Yeah. And we've nowhere to go anyway. We don't need them. But like for, for funerals and babies, especially babies and Tell funerals and things, at hospitals, yeah. Tell you what, I'm going to try and get another few calls on the air, but thank you, Brida. Just a couple of points, actually, just on that. You know, different things come into my head when we're talking about different stuff like that. I was trying to get bags and bags of recycled clothing that comes through our house. Not mine, because I'd keep things, I'd bring things to the grave with me. I just hate throwing things away. I just, I always feel, oh, I'll wear that. Oh, no, no, I'll wear that. No, no, I'll use that for painting. <laughs> Anybody ever say that? I'll use that for painting. <laughs> I'd be a pair of trousers or a shirt or a sweater or something. But anyway, about four bags of the stuff all belong to different members of the family. Brought it down to Douglas Court to the recycling bins. You know, the big huge receptacles with the with the swingy lids on them. Every single one of them jammed full to the gills. I know that they change them out and empty them regularly. But it just goes to show uh, the amount of people that are continuing to recycle, even these times. But does it also mean that we're buying too much stuff? Do you know what I mean? Buying stuff. Buying, 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 buying. Anyway, on the other point then, uh, I went out to St. Finbar's Cemetery uh, on Sunday, it being the 100th anniversary of uh, Terence McSweeney's death to the day, and Joe Murphy's as well to the day. Uh, and also, I went to the Republican plot just to pay him my respects, and because um, you got McSweeney there and McCurtain next to him and... 1920 in that year we lost uh, our two Lord Mayors and of course there was a lot of other incidents went on in Cork that year and in a few weeks time we will be uh, marking the 100th anniversary of the, of the burning of Cork but <coughs> I, draw, I actually cycled out uh, via the College Road uh, Oh, and can I, just, can I just say in spite of somebody who asked me the question on my Instagram page of the weekend it was, in, it was within my 5 kilometre limit from Douglas to St. Finbar's Cathedral. <laughs> Sorry. From Douglas to St. Finbar Cemetery is 4.2 kilometers. I checked it because somebody asked me on Instagram, is that within your five kilometer range? It's kind of sad, really, isn't it? They were even thinking about that, you know? But anyway, uh, I did cycle through the College Road and I have to report that for the first time in many, many years, it was absolutely spotless. The entire length of it was pristine somebody said to me when I was out at the cemetery who lives in the area came up and said hello they said that they live in the College Road area in and around College Road Connacht Avenue Magazine Road and they said the minute the minute that John O'Halloran the interim president of UCC the minute he said you will be expelled from the college if you act the maggot during Freshers Week everything changed it was just a godsend for the residents. That's what that ch- chap said to me, um, and who am I to doubt him? But the whole area, apart from one house not too far from the college main gates, that was in rag order with bins and plastic bags all smashed up around the around the road, but or around the, the house area. Um, but other than that, it was absolutely pristine. It was just a lovely thing to see. Okay, um, a lot of text coming in on this, and I just want to get another couple of calls on the air before I run out of time. Mark, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Um, why is it that you can't buy a white shirt, but you can buy a white wine? <laughs> I, I think that, like, the, the government really, they kind of know that if they shut the off licenses, the hostages are going to be absolutely overrun with people. Uh, because people need to be weaned off drink as well. People have a problem with it. So if they shut down off licenses, uh, it, it's just going to, uh, like, the, the, with the... With the 
the, the, the cold and the flu and the winter season coming in they say they're going to be overrun anyway but if they shut down the office there's going to be everybody coming in that has an issue with drink do you know what I mean so uh, I think that's the reason basically they won't shut the off license they keep the like, off licenses open to keep people out of the A&D yeah that's right, that's right. there's an awful lot of people that have a problem with drink they need to be weaned off it you know what I mean um, like if, if they shut the actual the, the off licenses it's, got, it's just it's just put, put people into cold turkey if you look at it that way and we're going to have to end up going straight at the A&E you know that's, that's my that's my, my my feeling on it you know um, I think the government think the same as well you know Hospital overcrowding is at record low for this time of the year. This is a Veradkar tweet. Hospital overcrowding is at record low for this time of the year and has been for months. He says, we have beds free in most hospitals most of the time. Please don't be afraid to go to hospital. Uh, it's there if you need it. Yeah, but they keep scaremongering people to say people that the hospitals are going to be overrun. They're going to be overrun. People are afraid to go to hospital, you know? Like, I, I, I a couple of weeks ago, my back, I pulled my back out, and it was pretty bad. And I had, I basically wouldn't go into hospital. I couldn't move. I said, I'll wait till, till South Dock open, you know? And I go to South Dock. Why wouldn't you go into the um, hospital? Are you afraid of it? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of, of, of the, the situation at all. It's just, I'm afraid that. Like, like, because of the fact that the government say don't go here, don't go there unless you have this, unless you have that, you know, it, they're basically telling people don't go to the hospital unless it's a COVID-related issue. You know what I mean? That's that's the way the government are putting it across. You know. Well, Veradkar isn't. He's saying um, plenty beds, more so than ever. But every new every every time you hear something on the news, they're saying to the, yeah, big, big fine. But every time you hear something in the news, it's in the ICU is overall. Oh, the ICU you know? is a different ballgame. They're the ones they have to keep uh, yeah. under control. So it's a case of you wouldn't be able to just shut them down because people need to be weaned off it. And if you did That's shut fine. them down, people would be overrun with people. Why would why would they be in hospital if the off licenses and drink was was stopped? Obviously, it's, it's like coming off any kind of drug. I presume it's kind of like cold turkey. Oh, okay. Like, okay. They might be able to, you know. But like, I like, I spoke to a public friend of mine. He said, "Well, well it, it's not not something that I agreed with." But he said, "Like, the, the, there's like, there's there's rules, and regulations in the bar, you know. Like, there's 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 protection in the bar with sanitizer and screens and so on and so forth. But there's there's not in the like at home in people's houses. They're going to drink. So yeah, but unfortunately, like, there there have yeah. been there have been evidence. There's been evidence now in the last few weeks of people who did go to pub settings and did go to restaurant settings and infected tables all around them. Yeah, but what what option like uh, has there been more at, at house parties than there has been at more bars? more so? Yeah, 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 but you know that that's right. But it depends where you trace back the case to originally. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't need the kind of tracing is working myself anyway. I don't need to re- they don't really put much effort into it but you know, in my opinion there'll be a lot more that would be would be would be contracted to your house parties and there bars okay you know, there's okay. no you know, there's no regulations there at all they're all going to just do what they want but in a bar somebody tries to go do something move or come together more than the two meters they're going to be so the okay so the off licenses would be full with people going through withdrawal symptoms and seizures okay alright thanks for that yeah. Annette good morning good morning Neil how are you good uh, it's about tax is it yeah, I think one of the main reasons that the off-licence haven't been shut in any of the, the, the lockdowns that we've had is just basic down to the money that the, the, the government takes in on tax and drink. 
Um, you know, I don't know what percentage of the tax is, but I'm sure it's... it's um, but either, it's, but no, but it's either it's, it's essential... It, 70%, I think, in excise. But either it's essential or it's not. Like, if you're saying that other retail aspects of life are essential and non-essential, why, like, in what way is alcohol essential? It's essential for taxes, oh, isn't I'm not saying it's... I, I think it's essential in the government's eyes because of the uh, tax that they can take in off it, you know? Um, because, let's face it, an awful lot of the economy is shut down, whereas if they can take it in in, in tax you know, via the, the alcohol, then sure, you know, that, that helps keep the coffers full or, you know, keeps them propped up anyway in some way, you know. And then actually the, the previous caller as well, what he said was, was an excellent point as well. You can't just cut off alcohol because a lot of people are addicted to it and you can't just come off it without medical help. So, you know, that makes sense as well. Um. The taxation is an issue that people are texting about, though, more so than, than anything else. Just a couple of examples mm. of that. Um, beyond no illusion, Neil, off-licenses are open because we pay massive excise tax on alcohol, yeah. the second highest in Europe. It's a cash cow for the government more so than any other business. Plus, they're missing out on all the tax from booze and pubs as the pubs are closed, mm-hmm. so they don't want to forfeit mm-hmm. maybe the off-licenses and the drink aisles of supermarkets. Absolutely, and I mean, you know, I won't say everybody, but I mean, a, a lot of people who, who drink would, would probably smoke as well, you know, the kind of the two sometimes go hand in hand. And so for that reason, you have a massive amount of tax as well on the cigarettes. As okay, everybody knows it's about tax, tax all right. Yeah. Thanks, Annette, appreciate that. Elaine, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. Um, I have an interesting email that I hope to, to read out. It's uh, lockdown and um, uh, with regards to the younger generation and the criticism that the younger generation are getting. But you wanted to pick up on our youngsters, wasn't it? That's right, indeed. Um, I just kind of feel that this isn't going to change because of all the youngsters that are out on the street that night in groups. Now, I'm not talking college students. I'm talking kids 10, 11 and 12, which I actually saw with my own eyes last night. Now, number one, it was a cold night. It was damp. It was wet. And I was saying, why are they out in the dark when they don't need to be? They're all congregating around together. You know they're not from the one family. I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. And I just can't understand it. I'm a hairdresser. We've been shut down. We've been so professional in what we were doing. We were out for 16 weeks first. So delighted to get back. Have been doing everything by the book. And I said, here we are, our business gone again. Just coming up to Christmas. And it's not going to change, Neil, unless the parents step up and keep their kids in in the evening time. It's winter. They don't need to be out in the dark and not in groups. I'm so frustrated over it. I'm so cross over it because I kind of feel, you know, like uh, it's not going to change, really. They're doing what they can in schools with masks and whatever. And the minute they come out the door, it's like a free for all. Parents don't care where their kids are. You know that level five allows for the meeting of one other household outside the home. Absolutely. So maybe Mammy and Daddy are okay with Johnny or Mary meeting one other guy from one other house. Do you know what I mean? Well, I tell you what now, I went for a walk last night and I just could not believe, I'm talking 10, 11 and 12 year olds and there was at least 12 of them together. Now, if my child was that young, I would want to say, where are you going in the dark and at the winter? Like, who do you need to be out with? Invite your friend into the house. Like, I honestly thought no, 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 you can't. crazy. No, you can't do that. 
Oh, well, okay, so leave them in their garden or whatever no, you and, you know. Well, I'm not saying you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that. The garden is a no-no as well. But I thought you can have one person in your bubble, in your house. That's like, the bubbles are different, like not a buddy. You know, you can't okay. have, you can't, your son can't have his son over, you know, because he's going back to his own home. He can't, okay. that, like, would be for some, an elderly parent or someone who's living alone, can form a bubble oh, with yes, another yes, family. Yes, Do you know yes, what yes, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I still feel very strong. No, there could be a lot kids. of confusion that parents think that it's okay for their kids to meet their mates as long as they stay two meters apart. Maybe they believe that, that you know, not everybody's included. Well, do you know what, now, Neil? I just wonder there, you're a parent yourself. Would you have left your 10-year-old out in the dark at night when you know there's, number one, a pandemic on, and number two, and a cold, wet night, why would you leave them out at, you know, at 10, 11, and 12? And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that this is their age. Like, would you have left them no, out? No, it's, it's all Well, wrong. I certainly wouldn't no. have had it anyway. As, 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 a, as a hairdresser, how are you bearing up? Devastated. How and I it? mean yeah. devastated. Like, we had 16 weeks out of work and you know we did everything by the book and I honest to God it was fabulous to be back in work and clients coming in and you know it, it's just so sad because we were doing everything by the book and we're shut down Pamela Morrissey we has Soby Browns on Morrison's Key perhaps you know it uh, she yeah, says that uh, she's in the Echo, I don't know what day, maybe today or yesterday, I'm not sure. She said that she feels and um, salon owners feel that the government no longer has their back. They're no longer behind them. She says we can no longer rely on the government. It's our clients that have our back. That's where the yeah. love is coming from. We've been receiving totally. gifts and phone calls from people around the city wishing as well. There's been no love from the government. Instead, their attitude towards the industry has been condescending and only serves to minimise the role we hairdressers play. We oh saw from God. the last lockdown just how important services like this were to people's mental health. What, what does she mean? Totally. That getting your hair done is important for your mental health, is it? Without a doubt. And can I honestly say this now? I have a sister in Australia and the hairdressers never closed down there because they felt it was um, an important service. When we came back, it was my first time in all my years hairdressing that I felt as important as um, a doctor or, you know, a medical profession, you know, the way you have so much respect for your doctor and things like that. Our clients treated us like that. But if an, elderly person, if an elderly person is living in fear at home and lonely, listening to this, surely they have um, a right to feel very annoyed that somebody would equate their situation with the ther- therapeutic value of a hair salon. Mm, I don't I just, uh, say that again to me, please. I'm saying if there is somebody who's living alone or lonely or in fear or in isolation yeah. or, and can't go out or has nobody in their lives and we're and we're hearing and they're hearing that hair salons are important for people's mental health wouldn't wouldn't they have reason to be aggrieved at that? Well, a lot of people that would live on their own and especially a lot of the elderly their their therapy was getting their hair done once a week. I see. Coming and and that would be it. I mean, if you went into mass there on a Saturday night, you'd look all the elderly people. You'd say, "Oh my God, look! They all have their hair done because that see. was their generation. Yeah, yeah. They got their hair done once a week. It might be the only person that they'd meet. Your hair just becomes your friend. They know everything about you. And I have to say, before our lockdown again here now, you wouldn't believe. The amount of tips that clients were giving, you're going to be out of work. Thank you so much indeed. Oh, so that's it what Pamela Morrissey means when she says that it's the clients have our backs. 
the without kindness, the texts, the phone calls, the gifts. Without a doubt. And it's unbelievable. Like once when you become a hairdresser and you're there for a long time, your clients are your friends. They're your, they're like family. And you know everything about them. They know everything about you. Right. But I just feel we're snookered over the younger generation. What's carrying on? You know, they're, they're not... Oh, they're still they're out there. I mean, do. I saw them all weekend. Groups and groups of them all hanging out. Yeah. Like, as if, You know what bothered me more, though? I went for a walk then yesterday afternoon, all the way down to, yeah. uh, to Black Rock and the Marina. Um, and on three different occasions on the Black Rock Road, I saw young fellas in their cars, right? Uh, yeah. Some of them had L plates, others had N plates, others had no plates. There was this young fella, and it's just not cool. I don't know, does he think it's cool? He's driving along the Blackrock Road with his head down, texting, right? Oh, unbelievable. Then the next fella does it, and then you saw there are two yeah. characters, two fellas, 18 or 19. Your man's in the driver's seat, and another dope in the passenger seat, both of them texting. Yeah. While driving a car. Totally. Listen, if you walked Denny's Cross there, you'll see people that are doing it. And I'm not talking youngsters either. You'd be, ta- you'd be looking at, mo- I can see moms myself doing it. But like when you'd say there about the end. No, I know that. The but these guys, these guys have come through the most vigorous um, training. Lessons. Totally. Driving license test. More so than I ever did. We didn't have any yeah. of that stuff. And I'm far, f- I'm far from right. Um, but yeah. like you would think yeah. that these fellas, 18 and 19 year olds, have gone through all of the rules, regulations, the training, the courses, everything. And the first thing they do then when they get the license is they drive and text while driving. Yeah, and they're driving their parents' car because they certainly didn't earn it themselves at 18. You know? Anyway. All right. Thanks, Elaine. So, Cheers. Take care. God bless. Back after the break on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Okay, keep everything coming and I'll pick it up in the morning. Can I just give out some important phone numbers before I leave you? Following my conversation with Sinead uh, Donfi this morning um, and I wish her well in her journey forward. Pieta House run 1-800-247-247. The Samaritans run one one six one two three. Teen Line Ireland is a 1-800 number if you're struggling. Teen Line Ireland, 1-800-833-634. And AWARE, for those that might be feeling down, depressed, lonely, isolated, AWARE, 1-800-804-848. And one final very important phone number, mine, 1-850-104-106. We have these wonderful meat boxes to give away now, courtesy of ourselves and Tom Durkin Meats. You can... Order online and they will deliver locally the most beautiful, beautiful crafted uh, butchery um, in the English market, not just for now, but also for Christmas time. So we have um, fabulous piece of spiced beef. We've got the minced steak, the diced steak, the pork chops, the strip loin steaks, the beef burgers and the large chicken fillets. All from Tom Durkin Meats, the award winning craft butcher, selling the finest quality local meats online and also in the English market right now. TomDurkinMeats.ie will take callers. 9 and 10, one 106 Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.